World's Finest Podcast, Episode 35. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Good evening to you, sir. And how are things with you? Um, I started school back today. I got a new phone with the, <laughs> and uh, it's a beautiful little thing. And uh, I went on a date the other night, and nice. so, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty good about week and a half for me here. And I should note that uh, as far as the phone goes, mm-hmm. um, my when I receive a text message or a voicemail message, it uh, it has Heath Ledger saying, it's not about money, it's about sending a message. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I thought it was pretty apropos. Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> um, so, okay, now that you're back in school and you work, you know, a, a whole lot, of course, because you got to make the monies, and uh, you you... Uh, are starting to maybe see someone here. Um, it sounds like we're going to have to start really banking these episodes of World's Finest Podcast. We're going to have to get like ten in the bag, <laughs> just in case you know, you know, other things start to take over your life, and World's Finest Podcast falls by the wayside. At least we'll have some episodes done. <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me, WFP will not go by the wayside. <laughs> good times, good times are had by all. Even we, even we have to talk about something that really sucks, you know, yes. like this terrible trio or something. Speaking of that, the other day Ian sent me a private message with a link to another chat forum. I don't remember what the chat forum was. Um, if I remember, I'll actually put the link in the, uh, WFP 35 feedback thread, but it linked to this chat forum that Bruce Tim is a part of. And, uh, on there, he openly apologized for certain episodes and he even called the terrible trio the worst episode in all of the DCAU. (laughs) I I can't remember the other ones he listed, but terrible trio was the one he said was the worst. And he was really sorry for, he even, uh, listed them in several groups, like, we like them, but I can understand why the fans don't. And these, you know, these we get a laugh out of, but still the fans hate. Like and then critters. other ones, like Critters, yeah, because Critters was one that he listed as, you know, the production crew liking, but mm-hmm. that he understands why the fans don't get it. And then there's other ones where he's like, we hate them, you hate them, everybody hates them, you know? <laughs> yeah, but like I said, if I remember, I'll post that link. Because I told Ian, I'm like, I'm like, post that, post that. But he hasn't done it yet. I don't know what's going on, so I'll do it myself. That's okay. Um... I also want to address something from, was it 34 or 33? When did we review the Aquaman episode? Was it last time? That was 33. 33, okay. Um, I had a chance to go back and look at the animation in that one. And, yeah, it was kind of bad. Because, remember, I was sticking up for the animation, and you were saying it was kind of flat, and Aquaman was kind of shaped weird. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't sit down and watch the whole episode again, but for whatever reason, I was going through it, and I'm like, yeah... Yeah, James was right. <laughs> it happens every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> also, while while we're talking about um, things that were said in previous episodes, uh, in 34, uh, a listener had sent in an email asking what our favorite episodes in all of the DCAU uh, were. 
And you rattled off yours, and I couldn't come up with one. I said uh, I'd have to wait till 35. So I sat down, and I thought about it, and hands down, it's almost got him. It has to be almost <laughs> got him. It's it's the only – I shouldn't – let me take that back. It's not the only, but when I want to sit down to watch an episode and just have fun, from Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, you know, Justice League, Titans, Static, Zeta, all of it, the first one that I think about is Almost Got Him. It might not be the one I put in, but it's the first one I always think about. And that tells me that makes it the very top of my list. I mean, there's other great ones. You know, there's Bullet for a Bullet for Bullock. There's um, The Great Brain Robbery, Over the Edge, Robin's Reckoning, Old Wounds. I mean, there, there's so many great episodes. And there's other ones coming up that I haven't seen in a while, so not fresh in my memory. But still, like I said, and here, here's a way to show you that Almost Got Him is at the top for me. It was the first episode I gave a 10. Well, if I go. remember correctly. Um, and I don't think I lowered it down to a 9 during our BTAS retrospective or anything. That shows you that... Oh, no. In right fact, I, I raised it to a 10. That's right. I, I, you did. I, I, had a nine, I had it as a 9, and then I raised it to a 10 mm-hmm. in, our, in our recap. So. Yeah. So yeah. I remember, you because I know you never even gave Heart of Ice a 10. So, yeah, that probably no. I think that was the first episode you gave a 10. Yeah, I think with Heart of Ice, if I remember, and we're talking you gave it probably a, a you year gave ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think I gave it a 9 and I don't remember what my reasoning was. It might have been little glitches in the animation. Someone will write in and let me know. You know, I, I can't remember right now, though. Truthfully, I can't even remember why you graded it in a <laughs> Yeah. I think I struggled with that grade, too. I think I really did. I think I think I was like, oh, 9, 10, I don't know. I don't know if I can score something a perfect you know score. Th- and then an episode or two later, uh, almost got him, gets it. What? I think the... Honestly, I think the reason you didn't grade it a 10 is, was because it was so early in our podcasting that um, we were we were both struggling. All right, is this episode worthy of a perfect 10? You know. Oh, yeah. I think that was what it was, really. It might have been. It might have been that we don't want to seem like fanboys, so let's not start giving everything 10s right away type thing. Um, yeah. That might have been in the back of our heads. Um, that, that's a good point. Um Still, Heart of Ice is a great episode, no matter what you score it. 9, 10, 11 out of 10. I don't care. You know, It's still <laughs> definitely one of the top episodes. Almost everybody would say the top episode of all the DCAU. So, I don't know. I don't know. I stand by my grade, though. <laughs> uh, but anyway, should we get into some email? I know we have a ton of it. Yeah, we're going to uh, break the WFP record for most emails and most time spent on emails here. I can already I, tell. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's jump right into it. Uh, first one is from Nate. Uh, writes, hey guys, just wanted to chime in about episode 30. I just saw Apocalypse Now parts 1 and 2 for a second time. And I must say, I wasn't as impressed as I was with the first viewing. I have one major gripe about Calabac and Orion. If Highfather and Darkseid traded sons in an agreement for peace uh, or a treaty, why would Calabac look more on Darkseid's uh, family side instead of Highfather? I understand that your environment can influence your body and in minor ways, i.e. Skin, uh, skin pigment, hair color, etc. But unless Calabac got in a plane crash that left him horribly deformed and he couldn't scrap up any Renew You to fix himself, <laughs> that just doesn't check out. And unless Orion got mass plastic surgery and liposuction, he would look like Darkseid. 
We actually um, addressed this on the forums. Right. I wanted to have us read it on the air, though, because mm-hmm. obviously not all of our listeners go to the forums. Um, they should. They definitely should. I don't know what their problem is. But anyways, um, yeah, it basically boils down to this. If you actually look at Calabac and you look at Highfather, besides Calabac's stature, because he's all hunched over and as thick as a barrel, you know, um, well, all of Dini's characters are thick as a barrel, so he's as thick as a house. Um, <laughs> they look identical. They both have the same beard, the same general facial structure. It's just that Calabac has been crushed under Darkseid's rule. That's what it comes down to. And if you look at Orion, if you were to give him the kind of gray, rocky, callous skin... He is identical to Darkseid. Um, I believe I said what I'm about to say at the forums. If you pick up the Kingdom Come hardcover, it might be in the trade paperback too, but I know for sure it's in the hardcover. There are some um, uh, pages that they had to cut. They were fully painted and everything, um, but for whatever reason, at the last minute, they had to edit them out. And it's a scene where Superman visits Apocalypse, and he's talking to someone in shadow, and you're supposed to think it's Darkseid. And out from the shadow steps Orion, looking not with a gray skin, but just in general shape and everything, looking just like his biological father. And Alex Ross really nailed that these guys do look alike, even though, on first glance, you might not think they do. Okay. Uh, continues on. Also on Apocalypse, Darkseid has slaves looking like humans or uh, new Genesisians. Uh, ne- <laughs> eh, I guess that's how you would say it there. They look about the same age as Orion. How could he have captured any new uh, G- uh, Genesis natives? I'm just going to go and say that. Yeah. If yeah. they're in an agreement for peace. I understand he could have captured them before they made the agreement, but Orion makes it sound like it was long ago, and I doubt Darkseid would capture tons of new Genesis babies because no one's that heartless. Oh, wait, it's Darkseid. Never mind. But it's still <laughs> unethical because if you want slaves, you get the strongest middle to younger aged men, not weakest children. It couldn't. It probably couldn't be that they were from Earth because the first time Darkseid comes to Earth, everyone makes it seem as though it's the first time they've seen him. You could just say they're humanoid aliens from another world. That's, yeah, I mean, look at uh, Star Trek. Half the aliens in there, not half, I'd say 95% of the aliens in Star Trek are a take on humans. I mean, look at the Bajorans. They look just like humans, except they got the ridges on their noses. If you look at Vulcans, you'd mistake them for humans if it weren't for their ears. Um, even Cardassians are still humanoid. They're just reptilian. Um, so, yeah, you know, you can just say a lot of aliens that look like us. That's all. Yeah. And, Mike, I remember you talking about an episode of, of E2 where you're going to re- uh, review The Dark Knight. Just wondering <laughs> what episode that is or going to be. Thanks, Nate. Uh, anyway, speaking about Earth2.net, the show, I'll get back to that question in a second. Um, <laughs> we should actively promote episode 258, James, shouldn't we? I believe so. Yes. Um, in episode 258 of Earth2.net, the show, um, I sat down with James and our friend Ian Wilson from the podcast, the excellent podcast, I might add, called For Your Ears Only. It's a James Bond-themed podcast. I believe we have a letter from Ian later in the show, don't we? Coming up next, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, We all sat down together, and we reviewed... We spent two and a half hours, I should say. No, I take that back. (laughs) We spent two hours and 45 minutes reviewing the original 1966 Batman movie starring Adam West. Um, I say we spent two hours and 45 minutes recording it because I actually edited out 30 minutes of our conversation. 
and basically it was just a slew of tangents. You know, it, the show really was already was. running long and, you know, I couldn't edit out every tangent, obviously, but there were so many odd tangents that I was like, okay, these have to go. These have to go. Um, but regardless, it's, it's a long, hilarious show. Normally I don't pat myself on the back like that saying, Hey, I did a great job with my friends, you know, but I think we really did a great job together. Just laughing our asses off as we talked about <laughs> that's that all it was was us laughing we'd say something and laugh say something and laugh say something and laugh yeah I, I think if we went more than 45 seconds and i think i'm being generous by saying 45 seconds without laughing i'd be surprised i would absolutely be surprised so yeah um i'll post a link to it on worldsfinestpodcast.com sort of like i did when we reviewed um uh the new frontier um, I'll try to remember to do that when I post this episode of uh, WFP, but if I don't do it right away, if I forget for whatever reason, you can always just go to iTunes and look up earth2.net, the show, and like I said, it's episode 258, it's uh, this the not the most recent one, but the one before last, um, or you can just go to earth2.net, earth-number2.net, and download it directly from there. I'm telling you guys, you guys are going to have... Uh, a ball listening to us just just roll on the floor laughing. But anyway, speaking about the Dark Knight, um, okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. We Jen and I we saw it opening weekend, and we planned on reviewing it right away. But then it dawned on me that it hadn't opened over in Europe yet, and I wanted to delay our review just a little so as to give our European listeners uh, time to see it. So the plan was to air it two weeks after it was out. Well, it's since been like a month, and we just haven't gotten to it for two reasons. One, we want to see it again, because it's a long movie. And I honestly don't think if we reviewed it right now, we would do it justice. So we want to see it again just to get it fresh in our memory. Two, we've been having a hard time sitting down recording episodes together. That's me and Jenny, I mean. Um... And it's even harder for us to find time to go to see a movie, especially one we've already seen. So it'll come. I promise you it will come. I just don't know how soon. I know everybody wants to hear our review. I'm just sorry it's not coming as fast as uh, y'all would like. Because trust me, if if you're itching to hear it, I'm actually itching to review it. So be patient. It, it'll be there. All right. As I said before, next email is from Ian. He wrote, uh, Dearest Mike and James, greetings from the tropics. Just wanted to let you both know that I'm hard at work on my latest tribute package, and having just listened to episode 34, you better believe parts of James's old wound <laughs> synopsis is getting included. <laughs> I won't do one part. <laughs> <laughs> I won't I mention this clue. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, gee, yeah, I know, right? We, I couldn't possibly think of what it might be. <laughs> I won't mention the specific bit. I just hope Mike's hernia operation went well after the extent of his laughing fit. Okay. Earlier earlier I was talking about how much I edited out of uh, episode 258 of Earth 2 at the show. That laughing fit that James and I had after he uh... said Barbara was, uh, well, should I say, uh, enamored of Grayson. Yes. <laughs> after he said that, we were just laughing. I serious. What you guys heard. Of, of us laughing, I probably cut out a good 30 to 45 seconds. I mean, you heard a fraction of it. Yeah. You heard maybe <laughs> half. We were, we were just like, we couldn't stop. We couldn't get it back together. Um, 
Uh, but I think it was a wise choice to edit it down. So you got the gist of uh, how hard we were laughing, I think. <laughs> I know, because I couldn't restart my, restart the synopsis. Or no. like every time I started a sentence, and I'd be like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, riddle me this. While Superman has two classic and consistent villain portrayals in Clancy Brown's Lex Luthor and Michael Ironside's Dark Side, who do you reckon is Batman's equivalent? No doubt is Joker the most iconic Bat opponent, and Mark Hamill plays him to a T. But as has been long established by WFP, his episodes are largely terrible. For my money, which is pound sterling, by the way, <laughs> Batman's most consistent villain in terms of portrayal and storylines is Clayface. His origins are well done, his motivations are interesting and plain, and he never sullied himself by trekking across Egypt to make out with a mummy-goddess hybrid. <laughs> so do you agree, uh, and where on the consistency scale might you rank the regulars of the Batman rogues gallery? I'm guessing Catwoman's pretty low down there. Um, well, here's the thing, Ian. Uh, if we're talking portrayal consistency, then it has to be Joker because, you know, while we all agree that, of course, Joker's episodes are by and large mediocre or bad, uh, we have to agree that Mark Hamill was the definitive voice of the Joker. Yeah. He was. He could be creepy, funny, threatening, and morbid basically whenever he wanted to be. And, you know, by that same token... There were plenty of episodes of Superman that had Luthor and were really, really bad. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't it, – it, I mean, it, and that's the thing here. I'm, I'm just a little confused by the question. If we're just talking about portrayal consistency, then I, I would definitely go with Mark Hamill. But, you know, as you say, uh, Ron Perlman's Clayface is fantastic. And uh, But, you know, as – He's been great in, al- in almost everything he did for DCAU. Really, Jack Sore would be the only thing that I didn't really like. So, uh, And we know that he just owns everything as Slade later on. Uh, and after that, I guess for third, I'd go with either David Warner as Raish or Malcolm McDowell as the Mad Hatter. So, uh, and uh, an honorable, honorable mention to Arlene Sorkin for Harley Quinn. She was really great. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Now that I think about it, among the regular Bat villains, I don't think there really is a bad voice actor actress. And, you know, that's one of the things that made Batman the Animated Series so damn good was the the voice casting. Now, I mean, Adrian Barbeau wasn't great as Catwoman, but that a lot of that can be written off because the scripts she had to work with were garbage. Um, You know, when Ian sent this email in and I was reading it and he said that thing about Clayface, I was like, you know, he's spot on there. Besides the little vignette in the uh, Christmas episode that started out Gotham Knights, hmm. he's been a really strong character. Because you remember during uh, when we uh, reviewed his origin episodes, we talked about how he really wasn't a bad guy. He had every right to seek out the revenge that he wanted. You know, he was forced into this, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he just slowly turns into this monster um, over the course of the show. Um, of course, I'm speaking about what we, uh, when we last saw him in, uh, ah, shoot, what was the name of that one? With, with Annie, with Annie. Oh, oh, Growing Pains. Growing Pains, yeah. I mean, we see where he starts out and what he turned into by, you know, his last appearance in, uh, Gotham Knights. And I think that's awesome character evolution. So, um, I have to thank Ian uh, greatly for pointing that out to me because it's something I don't know if I would have picked up on if he hadn't mentioned uh, Clayface there. Um, but I agree with you with what you said, James, about the Joker in terms of consistency. His episodes might have stunk, but, oh, he's he's creepy. He really is creepy from top to bottom. Um, 
Not to interrupt you, I'm sorry. I just oh, realized once again I made the, the mistake that I always make. I meant Roddy McDowell for Mad Hatter, not oh. Malcolm. He was, he was Metallo. I always mix those two up, and I don't know why. Uh, sorry. No problem. <sighs> um, I think you can throw the Riddler in there, too. He was portrayed, I think... John Carter, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was portrayed yeah. well. Um, Two-Face, definitely. I Well... Uh, yeah, I'll throw Two Face in there too. I think I think he was done well, but I'm not entirely sure we're answering the question exactly the way Ian wants us to. You know, mm-hmm. so Ian, if we're not giving you the answer you want, definitely write in and uh, uh, let us know. Uh, just just clarify it. Um, but before we move on, I want to say something. You mentioned uh, Ron Perlman as Jack Sewer, mm-hmm. and I want to say something. I got I got to rant a little. Um. I took a lot of flack for griping about the black hole helicopter uh, 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 ship thing. Yeah. That was only mentioned in two episodes. The black hole episode, and then the next time we reviewed Superman. And that's when he did the helicopter. In one episode, he's lifting a helicopter, and the next he's, he's lifting a boat. We only I only griped for two episodes. And we got some like some feedback at the forums that was all like, quit your grouse and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, it's not like we've been griping about this for like five, 10, 15 episodes, two episodes. That's all. I'm probably never going to mention it again outside of this rant right here, you know? So I'm sorry if you guys felt like I went on too much about it, but I, I still feel like it was a valid complaint, but as far as I know, it'll never come up again. So don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you, Ian. Um, next one is from Eric, who writes: uh, Jake Gyllenhaal may be a decent Nightwing, but do you really get? Do you guys really want a Nightwing film? I mean, we must assume that this will be in the future from the current Nolan series, and we haven't even had a hint of Dick Grayson's existence. Um, and have you seen this trailer for a Nightwing film? It's freaking awesome. Go to the forums for a link. Uh, did he? Did he post that in the feedback thread? I never saw that. Um. I think he might have. Uh, no, no, I don't think the link was posted. No. Okay. So, um, you've never seen the trailer for Grayson, though. No. Um, I I saw it a long time ago, and I don't remember if I liked it or not. It was very fan made, we'll say, but that doesn't mean it's bad. You know, um, it's nowhere near as bad as the the death of Batman. <laughs> or whatever that piece of shit was called that you yeah. reviewed. Um, yeah, but the, anyways, death of, the death of Batman. Yes. No, it, it was nowhere near that low. I, th- I think it was done okay. Um, but regardless, do we need a Nightwing movie? No, we don't. But, you know, there's a lot of movies we don't need that we wound up with and ended up being pretty damn good. Um, I think we will see a Nightwing movie somewhere down as the years progress. Yeah. I think it's inevitable, really. Yeah, and they really don't have to overtly tie it to the Bat family. I've said this somewhere. It might have been on the forums. It might have been in an early episode of WFP. I don't know. But they could easily do it by starting it out with Dick storming out of the mansion. And Alfred is trying to convince him to come back. You know, and and Dick's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I, I I just have to leave Alfred. I'm sorry. And he just storms off, jumps on his motorcycle, gets in his car, whatever, walks away, I don't care. And 
We never see Bruce. Batman's never mentioned. We never see the Robin costume. But we know Alfred. We know the mansion. We know this is Dick Grayson. So we get what's happened. He's had a falling out with Bruce, with Batman. And it just goes on from there. He's finding his own identity, becoming his own man. And you don't have to set it in the Nolan verse. You don't have to tie it to the Schumacher films, which actually uh, did hint at Nightwing when Robin was trying to come up with the names. He did mention Nightwing, if I remember correctly. Yeah. None of that. It could just be a, its own little thing. You know, that, 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 it's that simple. We don't need 30 minutes of him fighting with Bruce and then another hour 15, uh, yeah, another hour and 15 minutes of him out on his own. We don't need any of that. Yeah. So. I see Steve Buscemi as an incredible Riddler. He has the look and has played crazy slash intelligent characters before. Con Air. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do enjoy Static Shock, but never watched it in order. Hey guys, sorry to bring it up again, but Teen Titans isn't in continuity. LOL. Even the DCAU wiki says it isn't. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> how, would you, how would you guys like the writers and producers tackling the Tower of Babel in a PG-13 film after we get to see this new Wonder Woman PG-13 animated film? Uh, if it's animated, sure. Go for it. Uh, yeah. I, I'd love to see it. I just, you know, obviously it'll, it can't happen in, uh, act, in live action, but yeah, I would love to see that as a... Uh, a, like a DC animated film. Frankly, I don't know why they just don't adapt that for the Justice League movie they're wanting to do. Exactly. That's a great way to bring in all these heroes. Think about and, it. And freaking Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, you could bring Rachel Ghoul in if you wanted to. Um, you got Batman, you got Superman already established. We know them. We know Wonder Woman too. And then you could bring in these other characters and it could be asked, Batman could be asked, you know, how did you know what their powers were? You never met them. And Batman's just like, he says some sly little line, like I'm Batman. You know what I mean? Like he's been like, I make it my business to know or something. Right. Like just because you haven't heard of them, Superman doesn't mean I haven't heard of them. That sort of thing. So you bring in all these characters, you form the league, Raish gets the plans, boom, everything goes to shit. And so we get Batman in the movie, but when it ends, Batman's kicked out. So he doesn't have to come back for the sequels. If, they don't want to use Batman again. You know what I'm saying? That could easily be a nice feature-length film. I'm talking, you know, like The Dark Knight Long, like a serious look at a team superhero, at a, at a superhero team, I should say. My words kind of got jumbled up there. Um, <laughs> but animated-wise, I wouldn't mind that either. Um, the problem is they're working on Wonder Woman now. I believe the... Teen Titans Judas contract movie is after that. That is might that, have got put on the back burner, though. Again, because I know I know it had already been put on the back burner, but I mean, I, I, well, is there any kind of news on that? Because I really want that to come out. I haven't heard any news, but my suspicion is that they're conflicted because I've heard they want to stay true to the source material, but that source material is pretty mature. Um, Tara. You know, she's messing around with Slade. Tara's like, what, 13, 14 years old in that old comic series. Slade is fucking Slade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's like a 40, 50 year old guy. So that's not quite going to fly. Um, so may, I'm just guessing here, you know, maybe they're negotiating with, you know, do we leave this in? Do we cut this out? Well, we're going to set it on the back burner until we can figure all this out. I don't know. Like I said, that's just me guessing. Um, but yeah, if, if Titans is just going to be sitting around and they're not going to produce it, sure. Let's, let's open up some of those, uh, JLA trade paperbacks 
that uh, were were released in the '90s, and the Tower of Babel would be perfect for it. Yep. All right. Continuing the email here, what I like about the Robin Nightwing Batman dynamic is that Nightwing is always talking to Tim about how he's different from Batman, but he's very much the same as Batman, and he doesn't seem to realize it. You mm-hmm. mentioned how Dick is trying to get into Tim Drake's mind when he tells him it's not normal uh, as a kid to run around in the Robin outfit. That reminds me of how uh, Dick mentions to Barbara on how Batman manipulates you to believe you made the decision. In Superman's Pal, your question about Angela Chen can be summed up to the fact that news reporters aren't always the ones to decide what goes on the air. So perhaps Angela wasn't the one who edited the interview. I know she takes credit for him being famous, but that could just be her ego as a reporter. I do have to wonder if Jimmy could have sued the news channel for an unsanctioned interview. The animation is horrible, and the anime-style ending of Jimmy smiling always makes me cringe. (laughs) Um, I'm in agreement there. You know, Jimmy didn't most likely didn't sign a release form. He probably didn't even know the camera was on, if you want the truth. Because remember, he was tending to that guy that was laying down. Jimmy was barely paying attention to what was going on. So if he didn't sign a release for the interview, yeah, he could sue. Um, but when it comes to Angela, okay, I, I understand what you're saying. The reporters aren't always the one who who uh, decide what's going to go on the air and uh, the way things are edited. But they give you the impression that Angela is in control of what is put on uh, during her show, because when she's done with Jimmy, she kind of waves the cameraman off with her microphone. She kind of like sticks it in the in the in the lens and says, "That's good enough for me." And then it's over. So she knew what she was doing. She knew exactly how she was going to edit that. So yeah, she was at fault there. I don't know. I don't know if he could have sued for a quote unquote unsanctioned interview or not in and of itself because of the First Amendment. Uh, I mean. Yeah, he could have sued for libel, I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure he could have sued for the interview itself because, I mean, he was out in public and the. Yeah, but if he didn't know the camera was on, again, remember he might have known it was on, but at the same time he was he was helping that guy out. He was confused with what was going on. He didn't. He clearly was like, "What, what, 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 what does this lady want from me? So if he didn't know that camera was on and he didn't sign a release form. Mm, there's there there's the potential for some yeah, legal yeah. action there. Well, there's potential, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I love old wounds. We see in the episode that Dick and Barbara were dating, but then in Mystery of the Batwoman, it's hinted that Bruce and Barbara have a relationship. That always bothers me because I don't see Bruce or even Barbara uh, getting together. Why is it Batman can tell Barbara that Dick is Robin, but he had no right to tell Dick that Barbara is Batgirl? Makes no sense. And how does Barbara have the new Batgirl costume before she became an official member of the team? She Didn't she have that corny-looking outfit from the first series until she went and became a part of the team? Mm. Yeah, she got a raise at work and made a new costume. I don't know. <laughs> As it pertains to... Shoot, what was the question before that, or the statement before that? The uh... how, is Bruce, how does Bruce uh, justify telling... Uh, Barbara that Dick is Robin and not vice versa. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, well, he can tell Babs about Dick because Dick is basically Bruce's son. So he probably feels it's within his right to tell this, this woman what's going on with his boy. But he probably doesn't feel like it's okay to tell Barbara's business to Dick, even though Dick is, again, for lack of a better word, his son. Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, think about this. My dad would tell Jenny something about me, but he prob- but if he knew something about Jenny, he probably wouldn't tell it to me without clearing it by her first. 
You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not totally his business to tell, but I'm, you know, I'm his son, so he can do whatever he wants. Same thing with, with Dick and Bruce. Next one is from Thomas, who uh, writes, Plots is, in fact, a real word, albeit a word that yeah. emerged from a New York Yiddish slang. So, Mike, you may use it to your heart's content. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, next one is from Austin, uh, who writes, Hey, guys, great. another great episode as usual. I have to give my view on the last batch of episodes. Animal Act was slightly boring to me. Sad to say, his Nightwing is really cool in this episode. Superman's Pal, as the producers say, was one of Superman the Animated Series' worst episodes, which the producers admit on the DVD. I heard them saying this before I saw the episode. I went in with low hopes, and let me tell you, I was still friggin' disappointed. Old Wounds is still is an all-around great episode. The idea of having all the flashbacks as uh, Batman the Animated Series would have been awesome, meaning the animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they worked with what they had, and it still looked good. A Fish Story was, to me, another backdoor pilot to an Aquaman show, and it wasn't enjoyable to me. I personally prefer Aquaman in the Justice League. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice actor. The Demon Within, no, because Miguel Ferrer did the voice of Aquaman in Superman, the animated series, and then he does the voice of Martian Manhunter in Justice League, so. Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I can't remember who does the voice of Aquaman, to tell you the truth, in Justice League. But anyway, um, The Demon Within was an okay episode to me. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. Uh, off WFP, Mike, I know you hate Superman Returns, and to be honest, so do I. The movie was all around terrible, but I was thinking about the movie a few weeks ago, and I realized something about the movie. Returns goes after Superman 2, and so Lois has Superman's son. If people don't see this twist coming early on, what movie were you watching, and can I join you? Anyway, what I'm trying to say is Superman, therefore, has slept with Lois in Superman 2, but Lois doesn't know this. She suspects, but she doesn't know for sure. Even though Lois consented at the time, Superman wiped her memory. Therefore, it is my belief that Superman date-raped her. It it really leaves you to wonder how many Lois women there there have to know. I'm a sick bastard, but damn it, this knowledge made this movie almost watchable. Almost. (laughs) P.S. Babs truly does love Dick, doesn't she? (laughs) Yes, she does. Um, that's a very good point. It's one of those things where, you know, in 1980, when was that movie released? Maybe 81, 82? I don't quite remember. Um, but when Superman 2 was released, it was probably very innocent. He wiped her memory and it was all okay. But now we look back on it and it's like he used that chamber and the, the kiss and all that to take advantage of her. And it's a form of the date rape drug. What the hell is Superman doing? So not only is he a stalker in returns, but now he's date raping her in Superman too. What the fuck? Next one's from Dimitri. Hi, Mike and James. It's Dimitri again. I state that episode 34 is now first in my personal ratings. Yes, maybe the world's finest was epic in introducing the team of, of Batman and Superman, but Old Wounds was even more epic with the breakup of the dynamic duo. I guess that is because there was never a bond between Soups and Bats, but in some way we have lost the first Robin. Also, this month for me was filled with Batman stuff. First of all, I went to see The Dark Knight. No comments, just speechless. After this movie, I think Keaton, Kilmer, and Clooney should consider doing another Grey Ghost story. (laughs) (laughs) Then I got a new graphic uh, audio novel by DC called JLA, Batman the Stone King. My question to Michael, have you read this one? It's about Batman saving the Justice Leaguers once again from the shaman in the Gotham Pyramid. Pretty good, but I like Infinite Crisis better. Anyway, that's it for me. Keep the episodes going. Later. Never even heard of it. Me neither. Yeah. I have to wonder if it was, because uh, he said it was an audio book, but then he asked if I read it, correct? Yeah, uh, that kind I have of confused to, me. Yeah, I have to wonder if it was like just a, maybe just like an audio production, and maybe it wasn't actually a book before that, but I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of it. All right. 
Next, uh, next email is from William, who writes, On Aquaman's telepathy, Aquaman used telepathy on a human, his teammate Steel, in issue 235 of uh, Justice League of America. You can listen to Tom versus the JLA to hear for yourself at uh, the 1 minute and 49 second mark. Uh, yeah, Tom versus the JLA is another podcast. It's this guy who, uh, Tom Caters, Tom Catters, I forget how it's pronounced. But yeah, he goes through and he just looks at uh, issues of the Justice League in, in every episode. Oh, cool. That's what that is. So what was he saying at the one minute what mark? One minute the, what? Uh, yeah, he says you can hear for yourself at the one minute 49 second mark from the May 28, 2008 episode. Next one's from uh, Gardner Scott who writes, Hi, guys. I, th- I just thought you might like to know that I gave you guys a little shout out in the first episode of our just launched podcast. Uh, and the uh, link is uh, HTTP colon slash slash two true freaks. That's spelled T-W-O. Uh, truefreaks.libsyn.com. I made a point in our first episode to mention the shows that I most enjoy and have drawn casting inspiration from. Yours is one of my favorites each and every episode. Thank if you. Sh- thank you. If you should get the chance t- uh, to give us a listen, please feel free to leave any and all no-holds-barred hol- uh, no feedback. I would really <laughs> appreciate it. Keep up the great show. I'm looking forward to getting uh, getting to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and really wish you guys would consider uh, reconsider covering the comics based on the DCAU. I'm listening. Your faithful fan, Scott Gardner. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's sort of funny in a weird way to me. You know, there were certain podcasts that inspired me to start Earth 2 at the show. And then, of course, they had span out, spun out into this World's Finest podcast. And it's going to spin out into other things in the future as I have a couple other podcasts uh, uh, on the horizon. But uh, so it, it, it's weird for me to think that now we are inspiring other people to start podcasts. Yep. I don't know. It's it's heartwarming. It definitely yeah, is it definitely to know is. that we have fans that are like, I like what they're doing. I, I want to try something similar. And then they go out and they do it. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just speechless. I'm can't sorry. Say I'm it. Just, can't say it up for feedback. We love that kind of feedback. Really yes. Do. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of my favorite f- feedback is ones like that. Like, oh, I, you know, I started a podcast or I started a new website, even if it's not comic related or DCAU related or whatever, you know, um, and also the ones where people are like, I started listening to your show and I've listened to all of them in like two days, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> the one, and of course the ones where we have, uh, parents telling us that they've gotten mm-hmm. their kids into comics because of our passion for the DCAU that those, right. those have to have to be my favorite kinds of emails to get. Yeah. And uh, another one for me is the one where people, say that listening to the show has made them go out and buy the, yes. the DVDs. Because, um, again, it really means that our love is coming through and it's sparking a memory in our listeners. And it's getting them to go, I want to enjoy these cartoons again. I saw them when I was a kid. Now let me watch them again as an adult. And I'm going to drop some change on it, but it's going to be worth it. That's People are spending money because of what we say. Yeah. That's... That's, we should be we should be in a marketing firm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say I should be sitting on a throne high above my slaves cracking a whip. Whoosh. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Anyways, oh, can I can I be like the uh, your first lieutenant or secretary of something or another? Uh, you can be you can be Desaad. How's that? I'll be dark side. You can be Desaad. <laughs> oh, great. That means you're going to vaporize me with the omega beams. Thanks a lot. Every chance I get, and then I, if I'll resurrect you and do it again. <laughs> That's right, because you can resurrect with the Omega Beans, too. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> this is I have to put up with this all the time. You people just don't get it. No. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Behind the scenes, Mike is a tyrant. <laughs> oh yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> all right, now our next email. This is really kind of uh, cool. Um, okay, is this the one who I think it's from? Yes. Don't mention that person's name until the end. Okay. Because sometimes, oftentimes you say, this next email is from so-and-so, and then you read it. Yeah. Save the, 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 the author's name until the end, if you would. Okay, sure. Uh, the email goes, like Mindy, World's Finest is my first podcast. You guys have entertained me for the past week. You really know you're Batman, and I appreciate that. There's so many things I want to say, but as I'm listening to the Demon's Quest podcast right now, I just wanted to point out that the first thing that popped out at me during uh, your commentary was the comment that Selena only loves Batman. Okay, if you and I both know that Batman is the real man and Bruce Wayne is the mask, then technically Selena loves Batman as who he really is. She's mm. put off by the foppish, rich dimwit that Bruce Wayne pretends to be. The only reason she doesn't find Bruce Wayne interesting is because the real Bruce does everything in his power to make sure the fake Bruce is uninteresting. I think the reason one can make the argument that Selena is Batman's soulmate slash one true love is because she reads him as, as he is right off the bat pun not intended mm -hmm. she is the only woman batman willingly pursues in all her all, all other instances talia included bruce is the one being pursued animated series included both satana and talia e essentially throw themselves at him talia i want to point out seems very much to be in love with the idea of bruce her father finds him worthy and her father always comes first i agree with the incestuous theme at the end of episode one of demon's quest she will call bruce beloved several times and he will refute her every time for example, in Hush, Bruce steals Talia from LexCorp's plane, and she says, You will not hurt me, my love, to which he responds, I am not your love. Mm. Then later she tells Catwoman that Catwoman can never have him because lovers can sense that sort of thing. But not only was she unable to keep Batman, she comes off as semi-delusional and desperate by repeating and insisting to Batman and Catwoman that she and Bruce are in love, which we can see by Bruce's reaction to Talia's goodbye kiss, is simply not true. I'm not saying he didn't have feelings for Talia, but I am saying it is more infatuation than true love. On to another podcast now, Perchance to Dream. I wanted to explain how Bruce might have known that quote-unquote fake Batman was the culprit behind his dream. You express confusion on how Bruce would know that it's all Batman's fault. The way I see it is this. When Bruce realized that he was not in a dream, he knew that the person responsible for the dream is the person who now carries all the responsibilities that he no longer has to worry about. But if Batman is not a whole different person and this is all a dream, then who is beneath Batman's mask? Well, it turns out to be the Mad Hatter. I was surprised you guys hated this episode, as I thought Conroy did a wonderful job playing Batman, Bruce, and Thomas Wayne at once, and in one sitting. I also love that they used Selina Kyle as his fiancée over uh, any other woman in the Bat mythos, as it made perfect sense. Also, in his perfect world, where his parents never died, Selina wouldn't be a thief, so she wouldn't have any reason to show any klepto habits. Of course, I also don't know why the hell any villain would ever leave Batman mask, because if it were up to me, I'd be ripping off that mask before his head hit the floor. <laughs> keep up the good work you guys are hilarious and astute and i went back to watch that bullet for bullock smirk and it cracked me up best <laughs> selena kyle repeat the author's name selena kyle and then what does she write after that i believe there's a little more after that yeah that's my real name yes we have a listener by the name of selena kyle and i can tell you guys i'm not going to give out her email address but her email address clearly indicates that, yes, that is her real name. So, wow. How cool is that? <laughs> I know. And you know what? All fanboyness aside concerning her name, I think she makes some very good points about Catwoman 
and Talia there. Absolutely. And I never looked at it that way. That the reason she, she being Catwoman, doesn't like Bruce is because he acts like an idiot. And she yeah. doesn't want that. She wants the, the stand-up guy, the hardcore guy. And Bruce is nothing yeah. like that. I mean, little does she know who he is at heart. But what she sees is he's just a friend, you know. And that that that's I love that that those are, you know. There's another kind of email that I like. And I love all the emails we get, frankly. But mm-hmm. that, that's another one that I love is when our listeners uh, open up our eyes to a whole new uh, point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, when we get uh, mail from uh, female listeners. They tend to give a lot better. Uh, uh, I should. What is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, perspective towards um, relationships in the DCAU mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because they tell it from the, the woman's point of view, and right. you know, it's that's you know that's obviously hard for males to do. So uh, it's yeah, it's we don't really, mean to really, we don't mean well, to yeah. stereotype, but right. frankly. It's mostly true, you know. <laughs> yeah, because we've gotten you know, several emails like that in the past, and mm-hmm. uh, they're always really insightful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was a great email. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, our next one is from Jarek, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, this is my first email. I'm a diehard fan of the DCAU. I was so excited to find your podcast, and I was wondering if you guys – Whatever review the Beast Wars and Beast Machine series, that would be so sweet. Um, you know, just stopping here for a second. Now, I know it's it's of course silly to think what we'll be doing after a podcast that won't end for you know another two plus years. But yeah. you know, I have to admit, I feel a little humbled when I hear people ask us if we'd consider doing just suggesting things for us to do in future yeah. podcasts because it really does mean that they like hearing us bantering. Right. No. That again. That, that, that's another. Okay, I love all the emails. I already said it, but I got to say it again. I do, but no, that's another one that, as you said, is very humbling. It's like, you know, basically, what are you going to do next? You know, obviously, we're not going to cover Transformers on a DCAU podcast, uh, but you never know what the future holds in, in regards to what we'll do. I mean, you know, I got to be honest with you guys. There's a chance after WFP. That may be it, podcast-wise, for me and James. Honestly, it may happen. You never know what's going to come up in life, you know? Um, we hope I don't it won't think, be like that. No, but... right, exactly. We don't want it to be that way, but it may be. You never know. But when it when it comes to our follow-up podcast, you know, James and I have bantered... Should I tell them the idea I suggested to you? That real crazy, super insane idea I suggested to you, James? Why not? Go ahead. Okay. I had suggested to James that as a follow-up to WFP... We do a Law and Order podcast. And if we just reviewed, I did the math on this, and it was a while ago, so correct me if I'm wrong, James, but if we just did one episode of Law and Order per episode of our podcast, and we covered everything in the Law and Order canon, um, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, Criminal Intent, Trial by Jury. There's going to be a, a new Law and Order that's uh, going to be uh, uh, in London, I think it is, starting up in late 08 or, or 09 or something like that. If we covered all that, just with what's out there right now, um, it would take us 14 years to finish that podcast. <laughs> 14 years. Okay. So, yeah, that was a crazy <laughs> idea. When I suggested it to James, even I was like, I know you're going to say no to this, but it was an idea that hit me. Let me throw it out there. And James was just like, no. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I love Law & Order, but no. <laughs> yeah. 
I would so, truthfully, I would <laughs> I would love to just do a Law and Order Criminal Intent po- podcast, mm-hmm. just because I'm such a fan of D'Onofrio in that show. I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of my he may be my favorite TV character ever. That being Robert Gorn. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow! I can't get I can't get enough of that character. But you know, yeah, it's it's <laughs> just insane. There's yeah. no way it ever happened. <laughs> oh, getting back to D'Onofrio's character, just the other day, and I'm sorry, this is a tangent, guys. Just the other day, because I haven't seen a lot of uh, Criminal Intent, but the other day I was watching one where a magician died doing a trick, and it was really cool watching D'Onofrio's character figure out how the trick was done. And then figure out who the murderer was based on how the trick was done. And then how he, well, not to use the word again, tricked the the murderer into revealing himself. Did you see that one, James? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I haven't seen that one. It Basically, the guy who died was sort of your Chris Angel type shock magician. Let me bury myself for 30 days type yeah. of guy. Um, and it was all a big scam. And like I said, he ended up dead. And his, his, the, just, his acting was just... He's such a creepy character, and but you still like him, you know, because um, there's something endearing about him, despite the little bits of creepiness. And that episode really made me want to watch more of uh, Criminal Intent there. Um, but anyways, getting back to a future podcast, you know, when and if James and I decide what we're doing in the future, you know, I don't mean to use a cliche, but you guys, you guys... You know, you will be the very first to know. Well, besides me and James. <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll tell you, you know, what that follow-up, uh, m- you know, will be if there is mm-hmm. one. Yep. Um, continuing the email, on your confusion about how Bizarro is stronger than Superman, in a comic book I received with a Bizarro action figure I purchased, it explains that because he, he doesn't use the 10% of his brain for thinking critically, this allows him to cr- control his muscles more effectively, thus making him considerably stronger than Superman. I enjoy your show, and I can't wait for you to review Nighttime. This is my father's and my f- second favorite episode. Our first is Legacy, particularly Part 2 when Kal-El almost killed Darkseid. I love the animation on on his face. Yes, yeah, that, that uh, intense moment. Um, and he continues, uh, he actually asks us here, could you answer these questions? For DC, who is your favorite male, female, uh, male and female superhero, and who are your favorite male and female villains? Hmm. Do you want to tackle that one first, or should I? Well, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that my favorite male superhero is Batman. I mean, if I didn't love the character of Batman as much as I do, I might not be doing this podcast. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I just, I love the character of Batman about how he can, how he can be really anything you want him to be. He's, he's like, a ma- he's malleable. He's like clay, and you can just make him, as a writer, you can do any, really almost anything you want with him. Yeah. And uh female superhero, um I've always liked Barbara Gordon as Oracle. And uh I mean if you can consider her a superhero in that vein. Um and then probably Raven and Zatanna. So yeah, how about uh, how about you, Mike? Um did you list your villains? Oh the villains. No, no. Uh male villain? Well, I mean there's so many of them, God. Um you know, I'm I'm always been a big fan of Raish and uh, Dark Side, Lex Luthor. Um, m- really, most of the Bat Rogues gallery. I, I have to admit, I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, Bane, Riddler, Joker, Mad Hatter. The list is just nigh endless. Yeah, it, it almost comes off like a cop out to say the Batman Rogues gallery, but 
they're really a great group of villains, and it's hard to choose just one out of them. It really is. Yep. Um, what about? I, uh, I guess. Villains? I guess. It, other than, I guess, other it, besides Batman villains, uh, maybe Sinestro. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I honestly, I can't think of any off the top of my head other than that. So, uh, but I did say Lex Luthor. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. What did you say? I said, what about a villainess? A villainess? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, Harley, <laughs> Ivy. Yeah. Well, maybe Harley. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, as for me, um, starting with favorite male hero, this is going to surprise a lot of people. A lot of people are going to expect me to say Nightwing. They're going to expect me to say Robin, uh, be it Dick, Jason, or Tim. But that's not the case. It's really, in my heart, for DC, it's uh, Impulse. I absolutely love Impulse. Um, I was sad when they canceled that series. I was pissed when they killed the character uh, maybe like a year and a half ago, if that. Um, he's, he's just this fun loving kid from the future and he doesn't, you know, generally take how, you know, he generally doesn't get, uh, how serious life is. Cause the whole thing with impulse is, um, he was, he was born in the future and he was put in like a virtual reality simulator and aged. So even though he looks like a 14 year old, he's really got the mind of like a five year old, you know, and so he's just hyperactive. He's got no attention span. And, you know, it, it, that's kind of cute. And there are moments where he has to learn to start taking things seriously. And when he does, there are moments that just, they tear at your heart. Because he's losing a little bit of his innocence, but he's growing up at the same time. I mean, there were several points where you actually saw that character mature. Sure. Excuse me. There are actually points where you saw that character mature, is what I was trying to say. Um, so, yeah, definitely Bart Allen. Um, when it comes to female heroes, um, off the top of my head, you know, this may change in the DCA, in the DC universe. Um, um, probably either of the Batgirls, that being Barbara Gordon or Cassandra Kane. Um, I, I'll be honest with you guys, you know, sorry if it's sexist, but I like, uh, Barbara Gordon because I have a crush on Yvonne Craig who played her in the 60s TV show. Really, I have a thing for redheads, as you all know. All jokes aside, of course. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought she did the, did the character well. Um, I think she's done well in the comics, too. Um, and then when it comes to Cassandra's portrayal of the character, you know, uh, it was much darker. It was much more hardcore. Um, in the beginning, I really liked what they did with her in that she had a very limited knowledge of uh, speech. Uh, her father had trained her to take the portion of uh, her brain that you would use for speaking and for, you know, just general language skills, including reading, and forced her to use that part of her brain for fighting. So though she couldn't read a book, she could read your body language in such a way. You know, you look at a word and you don't even have to think about what it says. You just know what it says. That's what he taught her to do with her brain in terms of fighting. She looked at you and you were like an open book to her. She knew what you were going to do before you knew you were going to do it. And she'd kick your ass. And then DC, they, they, they realized she was a little too powerful that way. And they, they, they gave her some language skills and they, they, they pulled back on her power. But I love that. Um, when it comes to male villains, Lex Luthor, hands down. 
Um, villainesses? I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of in that same boat as you, James. Um, tentatively, I'm gonna agree with you and say Harley, but that, you know, that could change on a whim. So anyway, I wraps up the email here by asking James, what is your favorite video game? And have you played Lost Planet or Oddworld? I have not played either of those, but uh, my favorite video game, hands down, Xenogears, mm. uh, the 1998 RPG by Squaresoft that came out on the PlayStation. It uh, it has everything. It has an amazingly deep plot, likable characters. It has fun turn-based combat on foot and in mechas. It has uh, it's very long. It has all kinds of historical, political, and religious references. And uh, I literally do play it through at least one time every year as sort of a ritual. Mm. It's and I, it's because I love that game so much. And uh, I will forever hate SquareSoft in some part of my heart for what they did to that game because it could have been even better. And they rushed the developers to get it out. And the second disc of that game, what you can tell on the second disc of the game that it was rushed to all hell. Mm. And just by playing through it, I won't say, say what happens through it or anything. And uh, and because they also hold some partial legal ownership of it, we're probably never going to get a port of it like we have with so many other games, like on on the DS or something, like like they've done with uh, all the Final Fantasies and yeah. uh, Chrono Cross, I believe. Would uh, it was either Chrono Cross or uh, Chrono yeah, Trigger? It yeah, was it Chrono Trigger that they just yeah. remade? Yeah, okay, Chrono Trigger. Or, yeah, which one was the first one? I uh, thought Chrono Trigger was the first one. Okay, yeah, then that one I think is I don't think it's out yet, is it? Yeah, but it's coming out on the DS and that's right, great. Yeah. It really is. That's it's a great game and I'm glad that it's coming out, but you know it's it's probably never going to happen for Xenogears and it's it's because of of Square and uh I really really hate them for it. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, that's that's really it. That's my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did he ask us the same question in regards to Marvel characters oh, too? Yes, he did. I'm sorry. I okay. Sorry. That. No problem. That's okay. Um, why don't you? What are yours? What are yours? For Marvel, yeah, I've, you know, I've always been a Wolverine fanboy, and I always will be. I've uh-huh. ever since I was a kid, I just loved. I collected Wolverine comics, and uh, yeah, and uh, I always loved. Uh, if you can call him a hero, uh, Gambit. Because you know mm. you, you never know whose side he's on. So, and I, I think call what, him annoying. <clears throat> yeah, Sorry. Well, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll agree to guess, disagree there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a Gambit fanboy too. But mm. um, I actually dressed up as Gambit for Halloween one year. <laughs> I think when I was like ten or nine years old, whatever it was. But um, yes, yeah, and uh, I guess female hero. Hmm. You know, Kitty Pride is is up there. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's the, the the female characters are hard to really. It's hard to come up with. I, uh, it's just like with the DC villains. Yeah, I, I can't really come up with a a, vil, a female villain that's really stands out in my mind. But uh, as far as male villains, uh, there's you know, uh, Sinister. He's he he's and he I mean, he's just true true evil and you just want to see him get mutilated horribly every time he's in the comic and and also on a, on a completely different uh, side of the spectrum I'd say Magneto because just because he's always been the guy who yeah he's a villain and you hate what he does but you know deep in your heart that he's right yeah so and you gotta love villains like that yeah 
Um, for me, for Hero, there's a tie right now, and it's between Daredevil and Captain America. Um, and it should come as no surprise that those characters right now are being written by the same man, that being Ed Brubaker. Um, just what he's doing with those two characters is just, it's absolutely astonishing. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring to see him uh, revitalize these two characters that are generally overlooked by, you know, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Gambit, even. You know, they're a lot cooler. You know, they're a lot flashier. You know, Captain America, he's hokey. He wears the flag. Who would want to read him? Daredevil, he's an all red. What the, that, that's an ugly costume. That, that's what people base it on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That you just, you just, everything's all superficial, you know? And that's fine. That's fine. People like what they like. Um, but I think if you can get past that and you actually pick up current issues of Daredevil and current issues of Captain America, you're going to see that Brubaker is just rocking those books hard. That said, Captain America might be a little hard to get into right now because it's on about issue 41 or 42, something like that. Let me see if I can check this real quick. It's somewhere around there. Uh, regardless of the number, um, Brubaker has been telling pretty much one story since he started that book. So it's pretty much at this point like a 40-issue story. Not the easiest to get into, but pick up an issue and you'll see that the writing's strong. Um, and what makes that book really rock solid is the fact that, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers, the Captain America we all know, has been dead since issue 25. But, you know, his supporting cast has taken up the reins and they've really been allowed to shine right now and there's a new Captain America in the book and he's a reluctant Captain America and there's reasons why he's reluctant it's not cliched it absolutely works so yeah those characters um in terms of male heroes female heroes um I think Marvel and this isn't the Marvel fanboy in me at all it's just the way I feel um I think Marvel has uh slightly stronger uh female heroes um I completely agree um I don't know what it is about their female heroes that I like better than the DC heroes or female heroes. I mean, but there's, there's something, I mean, Katie pride storm, Sue storm, um, rogue. Even I wasn't a big fan of rogue in the nineties, but the way Mike Carey was writing her, um, roundabout X-Men 200. We're talking the adjectiveless X-Men that has now been turned into X-Men Legacy. Right around there. I think his run started around one, maybe 83, 84, 85, somewhere around there. And up through Messiah Complex, Rogue was just super strong um, in terms of characterization. Um, if you look at like... Uh, uh, Bendis's books, his his uh, Avengers books. I like what he was doing with a Spider Woman. I like what he's been doing with Wasp and Ms. Marvel. It's just they're all so strong. But if I had to pick a favorite, oh man, you know I'm gonna cap out again. I'm gonna go with a tie. I'm gonna go with the way Joss Whedon wrote Kitty Pride in Astonishing X Men, and the way Mike Carey wrote Rogue in X Men. They, it's just they, it shocked the shit out of me. That there are these two characters that I really didn't give a crap about until I opened up those books and just one issue in, I was I was in love with them. In terms of villains, uh, male Doctor Doom, done. Um, female villains, Mystique, 
definitely Mystique. Um, wow, how did I forget about Mystique? Yeah, I, I think she's a she because the thing with her is she's a really strong, conflicted character. You know, she's bad at heart. She knows she's bad at heart, but there's other times when she does try to do good. You know, she does. She did, I should say, try to do good by Rogue when she was raising her. Um, and there's just a lot going on with that character. I think there's so much untapped potential with her as a hero, as an anti-hero, and as a villain. I mean, like you said with Batman, how he's basically made out of clay and you could do whatever you want with them. You can kind of do the same thing with Mystique. And I'm not saying that because she's a shapeshifter. I'm just saying she, she could go any direction because she's always got her own motivations. You know, you never know where she's coming from. Is she going to shoot you in the back or is she going to pat you on the back? You don't know. You know, and I love that in a character. Um, getting back to the male villains, um, I said Doom and then I said Done, but I have to amend that. I do agree with what you said, James, in terms of Magneto, because um, I agree 100% in that he is right in his point of view. You know, he, just because he was a Jew, he was put into a concentration camp when he was a young boy. And so he saw the worst of humanity as he was growing up in his formative years. And then it turns out, you know, he's a mutant and mankind starts hating on mutants. So now he's, he's been hunted because he was Jewish and then he's being hunted because he's a mutant. And he knows that humankind will always hunt and eradicate what it hates and fears. So if you actually take that into consideration, everything he says about mutant kind and how it should separate from mankind you kind of have to agree with the guy, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of his thoughts about mutant kind taking over mankind, that stuff you can't necessarily agree with, but separating, you know, getting their own country being left alone. Yeah. He's, he's spot on. And I think Xavier is wrong a lot of the times when it comes to Magneto. So yeah, doom and Magneto for the villains. Okay. Next one's from Samantha who writes, Hey guys, uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts on the anime Gotham Knights were. I know it doesn't have anything at all to do with the animated series, but I've heard a lot of people didn't like it. And I was wondering if I was really all alone with liking it. Oh, you most certainly are not. I actually liked it. And I, I mean, I spent the extra green on the uh, special edition and I wasn't disappointed. Hell, I mean, I, I, I've, I've said this several times. I could just pop in that Deadshot episode and watch it on loop mm-hmm. <laughs> just for just for mindless action fun, you know? Yeah, and, as I said oh, – I'm sorry. Continue. I'm sorry. And, well, and, and the uh, the episode that precedes it where uh, Bruce is learning to uh, deal with pain. I can't remember the, mm-hmm. the, the title off the top of my head, but um, yeah, that one's a really good one too. And, uh, Hinden Walsh does another fantastic job with uh, – her character in there too so yeah i i really did like it um as i said in the intro for the last episode for episode 34 um it wasn't my most favorite thing in the world but for the most part i think they did a decent job yeah mm-hmm. if you want to hear more just re-listen to the intro for 34 yeah uh in your last podcast i heard that you're going to start reviewing batman beyond in october which i'm excited about well except that i have to get the seasons because i didn't watch all the episodes when i when it was out and because i was being all elitist and stupid so i'll have to head off to fye or something and get them damn you batman for draining my paycheck (laughs) (laughs) one more question for you guys i was wondering which of the uh batman villains from the animated series you liked best don't say joker guys that's kind of (laughs) obvious okay well i'll let you guys get back to doing what you do best can't wait for the next podcast laters 
Well, we did uh, kind of it, discuss this earlier, so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That we kind of answered that when we when we uh, responded to Ian's email. Um, so yeah, yeah. Okay. Our next one's from Zach. Uh, writes Mike and James. In your review of the Mask of the Phantasm, you mentioned that the criminals are smoking and that they never do that in the show. However, Penguin is almost always toting a cigarette. I wonder how they got away with that. Maybe because he's always got a holder, or is it a filter, or because smoke isn't coming out of it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're maybe the the censors uh, or the producers or somebody were big fans of Audrey Hepburn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go with because there was no smoke coming out of it. I won't give the snarky answer. <laughs> <laughs> Next one's from Mike Blanchard, who writes, First off, Mike, I'd like to thank you for doing the podcast you do and essentially letting people into yours and Jenny's lives. I know this might sound bad, but episode 233 of Earth2.net, the show, is my favorite, only because it gives the listeners insight as to who you are. And I love the lightning storm in episode 255. Let me let me jump in real quick there. All right. Uh, Previously, on WFP, I had mentioned that uh, my house was broken into. Y'all remember that? It was episode 233 where Jenny and I spoke about that. It was just us talking about how we feel violated and whatnot. So if you want to hear that, go listen to it. I do agree with him. I think it's a decent show. Uh, what was the other one you mentioned? 255. Yeah. Um, every month, Jen and I look at the previews catalog. And while we were reading uh, through some of the entries, uh, you know, telling you guys what comic books are going to be coming out in the next two months and which ones you may want to order. Um, there was a thunderstorm going on in the background and several points throughout the episode when we would say something dramatic uh, uh, that was in the solicitations that we were reading, like thunder would would like <laughs> sound in the background. And it was like we planned it, but we absolutely did not plan that. It was just funny where it'd be like, you know, and then the villains revealed, boom, you know, like, you can't plan something like that, you know? <laughs> well, if you're Batman, you can, because remember, yeah, exactly. he, can, he can cause lightning to strike a wrecking ball. Touche. Uh, if you look at the end of Old Ones and the end of Return of the Joker, they kind of mirror each other. When Robin, and, uh, when Robin, i.e. Tim Drake, in the end of Old Wounds asks Nightwing, uh, you coming? He says it's about time, which leads me to believe that he's going to mend the fence with Bruce. Also at the end of Return of the Joker, Terry asks Bruce what, uh, what you're doing here, and Bruce replies it's where he should be. And then we hear Bruce in the hospital room say hello, Tim, and Drake replies, hi, old man. Kind of similar, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I recently received Birds of Prey complete series set Wow, I remembered watching bits and pieces of the show when uh, when it was airing, but damn, it's pretty good. The Gotham Girls Complete series is spread out over the first three discs of the set, and the lip-syncing and it sucks to all hell, but it's funny as well. The voice actresses for Ivy, Batgirl, and Catwoman are all the same as in the DCEU, I think, but I'm not sure. I attached a, a, a pic of Batgirl in the shadows looking hotter than ever. They have two episodes in the show that mirror the terrible trio and the grudge match episode from Justice League, even though the episode with animals is called Nature of the Beast and it's cheesy as hell. But, hey, the masks looks really cool. Also, Mark Hamill voiced the Joker in uh, Birds of Prey for two episodes. I've been re-listening to WFP episodes, and yes, Mike, I know you said at one point you don't remember as far back as episode four, and you don't listen to them, but I think whenever you guys get to an, a- an anniversary mark of WFP, you should go back and review episode one. The only complaint I really have is it sounds like James is in a tunnel. <laughs> you know what? I, let me just say this. The microphone I used for the first couple episodes... Let's just say that I took it behind the shed and put a bullet in it. It it was a piece of shit. I know. Yeah. It was it was a cheap little like $14 microphone. 
the reason why I've been re-listening to old WFP episodes is because I've no I have no other new episodes of other podcasts I listen to. And I like hearing your insights. Plus, November fourth can't get here any faster with the complete series coming to DVD. That being Batman the Animated Series. I never bought the volume sets, and now I won't. And now I won't have to. Woohoo! How are you guys going to review Zeta when, as far as I can tell, it was never on DVD? Cough. <laughs> That's <laughs> there. We've received several emails from listeners telling us where we can find that show very legally, very legally. So don't worry. We'll cover it. All right. Looking forward to episode 35. Mike, next one is from Aaron who writes, just a couple thoughts running through my head lately. First, what is one of your listeners' problems with Talia al Ghul? Despite the fact that she's the daughter of Ray, she's a pretty decent person. And if I may say, um, better romantic match for Bat slash Bruce than Selena is. Uh-oh, conflicting Uh-oh. emails. <laughs> we got a fight. We got a fight going. And you know where you could settle this fight? If you go to earth2.net, that's www.earth-2.net, on the left-hand side of the page, you're going to see a link that says forums. Click it. Click it. And join the forums, please. And you can go there to settle this dispute. <laughs> please do. We will love to read it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think the fact that Bats turned down Talia was a bad idea. They could have gotten married. Bruce could have taken over the League of Shadows and made it into a force for true justice. Two, that's I think, what I said. I, exactly. Now, I disagree with that, but yeah, right. that's exactly what you said. Two, I think that if Joker never existed, Bruce slash Bats uh, were sent to Arkham like in the reality, a dream reality and over the edge, and Harley were there. She might have fallen for him. I mean, huh. we see she's kind of sweet on Bruce at the end of Harley's Holiday. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Harley Quinzel is Batgirl. <laughs> oh yikes! <laughs> She'd be dead within an hour. <laughs> there was there wasn't <laughs> there was an issue of the short-lived Harley Quinn series where she did prance around in the old Batgirl costume for a while. So you you can kind of see her in, as Batgirl that way if you want. But yeah, I, I agree with James. Batman would just kick her off the one of the one of the ledges in the cave. I'm not even like, saying whoops, she slipped. <laughs> I'm not even she would just slip by herself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Three, I see a few similarities between Brainiac and the Star Trek TOS episode, The Changeling, where the Enterprise encounters a probe that originally was sent from Earth to explore new planets, but was damaged in flight and merged with a terraformer probe that was supposed to sterilize planets for colonization. The result was a probe that destroyed imperfect plan- uh, planets. That sounds a little bit like Brainiac's directive, except that he steals all the tech and info before he destroys the planet. Okay, maybe he's more like the board, but anyway. At the moment, I'm trying to write a Batman story that's loosely based on over the if if Over the Edge actually happened and Bats and Harley do get involved romantically and professionally. Happy trails, guys, and don't pick up any strange glowing rocks. Aaron. All right, next one is from Brian, who writes, Hello, guys, let me start by saying I'm a Batman fan before a Superman fan and that I completely agree that his inc- inconsistency in powers is very frustrating. That being I said, didn't mention it. That wasn't me. Oh, that's no. all I'm saying. That, that was me. that, that was, was someone who wrote in. No, 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 that no, wasn't even you. It was someone who wrote in. So no, that wasn't me. <laughs> oh, I, okay. For a second there, I, I couldn't remember what you were talking about. I was like, oh, no, yeah. No, no, no. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that being said, you guys were talking about how in one minute he can lift a uh, an ocean liner, and the other he can barely stop a helicopter. There is one uh, episode of the Justice League that sort of explains his changes in strength. At the end of the episode, where, when Darkseid attacks Earth, Superman has a speech uh, during their final battle. He says something along the lines that he would never use his full strength because he was always holding back, and he was afraid he would basically rip the world in half. I believe Supes is saying he's living in a world made of paper. Actually, it was cardboard. But uh, Then he really opens up on Darkseid and punches him through like 11 skyscrapers. I thought that uh, I'd remind you guys about the semi-explanation from DCAU. Well, I mean... 
I've I've literally watched Destroyer uh, over 150 times, and I'm not joking. I have watched that episode at least 150 times, and uh, I don't know if that's really an explanation for his his changes in strength, though, because if he's in a, a crisis situation like with you know the ocean liner, black hole, helicopter, whatever the hell it is, shouldn't he just be using all the strength necessary to get those things out of danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I have no comment. I swore I'd have no comment, so I have okay. no comment. Okay, moving on to our next email then uh, from Nick, uh, who writes, On episode 33, your review of In Brightest Day was awesome. Green Lantern is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Sinestro Corp storyline rocked, and I'm uh, looking forward to In Blackest Night. In uh, episode 34, I enjoyed your review of A Fish Story. Absolutely loved the assessment of Aquaman, the most severely underrated hero in the DC Universe. You just got to look past the fish motif. Besides, uh, Aqu- Aquaman beat Namor in Marvel vs. DC, so there you go. Okay, yeah. uh, before before we go and jump into our episode reviews here, since when is Marvel vs. DC uh, <laughs> like uh, an ind- a good indicator by which to back up theories? Wolverine, with his bone claws, beat Lobo. (laughs) Uh, That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Back when Mm -hmm. it first came out, I really liked it. It it, I was younger and and naive then. It was was a fun thing. It was was just a fun little thing. If I remember correctly, those battles were decided by fan vote, too, weren't they? They were. The, the The nine big ones were decided by fan vote, yeah. I'm going to tell you something that you guys may or may not know. Lobo was initially created to make fun out of the dark heroes that were prancing around in that, you know, era in the 80s, the the Wolverines, the Punishers. But then what happened was the the company that being DC sort of lost sight of that and they cre- and they turned him into one of those characters that he was supposed to be making fun out of. Uh but anyways, no matter how you slice it, Wolverine is just so much more popular, especially back then. So, bone claws or not, he was gonna win. See? He was just like I said. What are you talking about? Did you see the way he fought? Yeah, but he also had that phone thing. And when he flew away at the end, I'm telling you, he's not human. Get off it. He's human. I don't know. I thought I saw fangs. First up today is the Gotham Knights episode, Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, yes. Um, this episode, it's really very hard to summarize because, I mean, it's pretty much everybody knows what this episode is. It's a bunch of kids, you know, talking about the legend of the Batman, what he is, if he's human, if he's a monster, if, you know, what he is. And they, uh, they do two stories, um, one of which is a callback to the 1950s, all the gaudy props and the, <laughs> the the goofy facial expressions, the puns, you know, just all of that fun-loving stuff of the, the dynamic duo. And uh, the second one is pretty much word-for-word word, The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. So, um, and really, that pretty much summarizes this whole episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah. at, the end, at the end, we have Batman taking down Firefly and saving the kids from a burning-down theater and... Uh, it kind of wraps the, the episode up in a nice little package. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's really about it. Yeah, this is not an easy one to summarize, but I think you did a really good job getting the point of the episode across. It's it's just to show that Batman can be anything that the writers want him to be. 
you know, he's one of those few characters that can evolve over time and can survive the evolution of his character. He's gone from being a dark character that killed monsters and vampires, and some would say killed humans, though it was more, uh, what's, what's, what's that term they use on Law and Order all the time? Reckless endangerment? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more, that's really what he's actually doing in those old stories. But yeah, so he started out fighting monsters and mobsters, and then he moved into costumed criminals and became really campy. And then as it moved along, some would say he became, well, a, a champion for gay rights, we'll say, and, you know, uh, continued along that camp route, and then he became, uh, uh, much more real, as if he existed in our world. And then he became, uh, you know, the dark knight of the 1980s, thanks to Frank Miller. And then he became a superhero again in the 90s and this current decade. And who knows what the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years hold for the character. He's changed so much over the years that you really can't predict where he's going to go. Um, and I like that about him. Um, if you look at Spider-Man, you know what he's always going to be about. You know what Superman's always going to be about. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, all those characters. But Batman, he's everybody has their own definition of that character. And this episode proves it. There's one little boy whose uncle told him a story about kind of a campy, lighthearted Batman. And the girl, who of course is uh, Carrie Kelly... From The Dark Knight, she sees him as a 50-year-old man with a female Robin. And the other boy, whose story we don't see but we hear, sees him as a demonic force. And, of course, there's a fourth little boy, happens to go by the name of Joel, and he's quite fabulous, we'll say. Gee, I wonder who, whom he might be lampooning. I, I'm wondering if the shoemaker sign behind him is yeah. sort of... Mm, about the, <laughs> um, the car that can drive up walls, the tight rubber right. suit... But right, you know, that vision of the character is also valid. Do the majority of the people like that vision of the character? No, but it's out there and some people are going to cling to that. And that's fine. The character will survive. Um, so that that's my thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, this episode is all about just paying homage to all those different visions of Batman and um you know, I'm not exactly fond of the 50s, 60s Batman media, but I love right. history lessons. And this 1950s style Batman and Robin caper that the first story is all about is just awesome. The, yeah. I mean, it's and this is one um, a cartoon where I can excuse um, sound effects not perfectly syncing up with the animation because it's it was on purpose so right. I mean, you could yeah. you could tell that the gunshots and the glass breaking during the scene don't don't perfectly sync up to the animation but that's that's good that's actually adding more uh 1950s quote unquote realism to it and um it's it can be forgiven because it was i guess you know it was supposed to intentionally mimic the uh cruder animation of that era yeah, did you also notice that during the 50s era Batman story that the music would just end abruptly and change into this like whole other theme? Like if Batman and Robin were doing something heroic, um, but then they cut to the villains doing something villainous, mm -hmm. it wouldn't fade out and then fade in. It was just stop. It would stop in the middle of a beat and then pick up 
with the other guys. And it's like, that's awesome. Yes. That they were, that they didn't just pay attention to the kind of, hello, chum, let's go fight this dastardly gang. See, I can't even do it. But, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not just, it wasn't just in the dialogue or the way it was drawn or the way it was colored. It was also in the sounds that they put that much thought and that much uh, care into it shows that they actually love that version of Batman. It might not be their version of Batman. It might not be the ones they grew up with, but it, 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 again, it's perfectly valid and they didn't want to make fun out of it. They wanted to say, look, here you go. We're going to pay respect to the people who are working on the character in that time. Oh yeah. Um, and then, of course, to go along with the the 1950s, everything you know, everything in that era was just egregiously big. The the props, I mean, just like uh, Robin using a trombone as a weapon, and then uh, you know the dynamic duo of grabbing this gigantic pair of cymbals to crush the bad guys. <laughs> and then the best part of all of it is Joker's goofy facial expressions. <laughs> With every yeah. pow, biff, and bam. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I think my favorite was when they took the, uh, the, the the bow for the giant violin and they used it as an arrow to go flying at the two thugs and caught him into the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I love that more than what they did with uh, to the Joker with the saxophone, which was it was funny. I just preferred the stuff with the violin a little more. That was great, and the uh, the props it was great. There was no subtlety whatsoever. Giant saxophone, humongous flute. Etc. Etc. I love I I love the giant working piano too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they uh, built a piano and they made it work. <laughs> the only gripe I have with that is the Joker was going up the keyboard and yet the piano keys notes were clearly going down octaves. But ah, minor, but again, minor. remember. <laughs> but no, yeah. again, this goes back to what you said earlier. If you consider when. You know, the time frame it's paying homage to, mm-hmm. would they have paid attention to something like that back then? No, not really. That's not to say all cartoons wouldn't have paid attention to something like that. I mean, if you look at Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes, which focused a lot on music, they would have paid attention to that. But a Batman cartoon from that era, there's no way they would have. No, no way. No. So it, for me, it works that he's going up, but it's but the sounds are going down or vice versa, whichever way it is. It, that didn't bother me in the slightest. Hell, I didn't even notice it, really. Yeah. I'm just justifying it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I loved Michael McKeon doing the voice of Joker here. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought he did a really funny, funny job with it. And it was it was just so over the top. Uh, and even, I mean, we you know Mark Hamill, of course, goes over the top in his own incredibly great way. But uh, this was, it was a, a nice little change of pace from what we're used yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, at first I was trying to figure out if it was Hamill doing a completely different voice. And then I was like, no, if if this was Hamill, a little of uh, Hamill's Joker would have slipped in from time to time. And so I looked it up and I saw that it was a completely different guy. And I appreciated that, that they brought in some old-timey actors to play those characters, you know. Because, again, it gave it a more retro vibe. Yeah. Um because uh, what do we know, the, the actor who played the Joker, where, what do we know him from? Michael McKeon from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I haven't watched Saturday Night Live. In- oh, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a, fam- like a, a skit he was in that was just really uh, memorable, but. Um, was, has he, was it, when was he on the show? What era? During kind of the, the Dana Carvey, uh, Mike Myers 
era. Oh, see, that's when I was watching Saturday Night Live, too. So when I said he was an old-timey actor, pardon that, because I know the actor who did Batman was a very old-timey actor. Yeah, he started in 94 uh, on SNL. Okay, okay, well then, pardon what I said. Forget what I said about the Joker, but it still is uh, relevant to Batman, so yeah. sorry. Yeah, he, and he's actually, he's done all kinds of guest shots on, you know, Simpsons and uh, Family Guy, Harvey Birdman, Star Trek, you know. So, yeah, he's he's got a very very long resume. Cool. Uh do you do you have his resume up by the way? I do. Um uh, what's he done in Star Trek? That's that's the one that caught my interest cuz I don't watch Harvey Birdman, I don't watch The Simpsons, I don't watch Family Guy, I don't watch well, like, like I said I did watch SNL back then, but I don't remember him. So, um, what's he done in Star Trek? Maybe that'll make It doesn't say at least what I'm looking at here, but um mm. he apparently was on Smallville and uh, he he played Perry White. On Smallville, okay. I don't think I've seen any with Perry. So mm. again, I'm I'm at a loss. I'll look it up later, though. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, but anyways, uh, anything else you want to say about uh that portion of this episode, or can we move on to the the Dark Knight Returns portion? I I don't really have anything else to say because I think we pretty much summed it all up already. <laughs> okay. It's just it's just okay. really a lot of fun. It, it is, and one of the things I wrote in my notes was it's perfectly cheesy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go too far, and yet it doesn't stop too short. I'm not done it fiddling with where, them yet. Yeah, yeah, it knew where it wanted to go, and it got there. And that, that to me, again, I, I hate to say it again, but I'm gonna. It just, it just shows how much love they have for that version of the character. Yep. Because they, they could have went too far and made fun out of them. They could have went not far enough and then not captured the, the joy that that version of the character really has. Um, so they, they were perfect with that. One thing I will mention that I almost forgot is, did you notice uh, Batman and Robin shaking hands at the end of their adventure? Yep. It, that was straight out of the intro for the 60s TV show. I was like, oh my god, I never really caught that before. But when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, that's the handshake from the end of the, the opening credits. That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, end of the opening credits or was it? Yeah, they shook hands at the end of the credits, yeah, right? Yeah, I, th- I believe so. Okay. I couldn't remember if they shook hands and then beat up the villains or beat up the villains and then shook hands. But whatever, it's from that. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. So, on to Dark Knight Returns. in. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts about this one? Um, I heart Michael Ironside. <laughs> yes, we got Darkseid as Batman. It was so weird, but so cool yeah. and so perfect. Uh, yeah. I mean, that yeah. he really was the perfect guy to get to do this, you know, incredibly dark, futuristic Batman story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the only other person I could have imagined doing it was Ron Perlman. Yeah. And... But Ironside was the right choice. I'm just saying, if, if Ironside was booked that day, Perlman would have been a great villain. But they, they got the right guy here. And uh, uh, I would, I'll go ahead and admit... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, I'll just go ahead and admit that at the beginning of the ep- of the episode itself, the, uh, the Legend of the Dark Knight episode itself, I was looking at that girl, and I could not figure out where she was. Because, uh, I uh, again, I haven't seen this episode in, I don't even know how long. And I was like, who is that? Who is that? And then when uh, Dark Knight Returns starts, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Carrie Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you actually look at her throughout the entire episode, we're talking about the framing story and the Dark Knight Returns story. Her animation and her general design, I should say, is very Frank Miller. 
Mm-hmm. And if, if you pay attention, it doesn't quite uh, jive with the animation in the framing story. Because if you look at the, the boy mm-hmm. who... You know, if you look at the two boys, they look like they fit in to the, the Gotham Knights world, where she looks a little different, just a little off. But then the second you see who she's supposed to be, you're like, oh, I get it. So, yeah, it was just them basically coming up with one design for the character and not having to tweak her design when it got to the Frank Miller portion of it. There's so much in this that I'm I'm, I'm really amazed that they could get on TV because it Dark Knight Returns is not exactly a kid-friendly uh, uh, story. No, no. It's it's terribly violent. And, you know, they in this clip here, they show Batman roughing up two thugs who abduct Robin. They show him driving a tank at them, shooting, shooting them with bullets. And sure, he turns around and says, rubber bullets, trust me. Um... But still, Which it's was a, great, that line. a really hilariously delivered line. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was. But if you miss that line, you're thinking Batman's blowing people away on screen with a tank. And then, and then, oh, I'll give you the honors of this one. No, no, go ahead, please. I won't do it, Jess. No. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, can't re- I can't remember the exact dialogue. I think you'll do better at it. <laughs> no, I don't either. That's the problem. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember it myself. Okay. Uh, okay. It's like, oh, well, he calls him uh, son, I think, <laughs> doesn't he? Or uh... Yeah, well, well, to, to go along with the violence, the the mutant leader, as he's called, and, and Batman, they're, you know, they're, they're duking it out in that giant mud pit, and, uh, you know, Batman's about to get drowned, and he's able to get the upper hand, he just knocks him over, and he says something to the effect of, uh, you don't get it, son. This is an this is an operating room, and I'm the surgeon. And as he breaks the guy's leg, which we don't see, lightning and thunder crack in the background, telling us what Batman just did. It's so brutal, and you know exactly what happened. Not only because of the sound, but also because the mutants in quotes that they cut to all cringe, like "Whoa, did Batman just do that?" You know, Batman just crippled that guy. He just. He probably tore his leg off if you want the truth. Truthfully, yeah, he probably did. It, it, it wasn't just a break. He was ripping it clean yeah. off, and and he probably wanted to beat him to death with it. Yeah. Because he, yeah. he basically all but disembowels the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've – you know, Frank Miller's art style is one of those that you – before this cartoon, you could never really imagine being animated. It's not the easiest style to put into motion, but they sure nailed it on the head here. I mean, there's slight little tweaks to it, um, which you just have to do with almost any style that you're translating from comics to the uh, animated form. But they were still very faithful to his general look, his voice, just everything, down to the colors even, when they're in the Batmobile and it's all black and red. You know, later on we'd see that with the Batman Beyond Batmobile, but that started, if I remember correctly, in The Dark Knight Returns. Um, it's been a while since I've read it, but inside the Batmobile, it's red, right? In the uh, it, in the comic itself? Um, don't remember. I do know that it is red inside Batman Beyond, so... Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is... In the comic too. Again, I gotta, I gotta crack it out to see, but I'm 99% sure. But yeah, I mean, they, just that they got something like that right, and just oh, everything, every. I'm just gonna keep saying it's perfect. I'm just. 
So why don't you say something else about it? <laughs> well, there were there were some uh, minor lip syncing issues here, but again, I can I can excuse it here because of what it is. So mm-hmm. uh, I will. I'm not going to dock at a point or anything like that. Right. But um, yeah, uh, I love. I think my favorite part, beyond of course the incredibly cool dialogue beforehand, was the the mud fight itself. It was mm-hmm. just beautiful. Uh, this just really reiterating what you said is beautiful animation, and the fact that they were able to translate Frank Miller's animation, which you got to admit, it, you either love it or you hate it. And yeah. it, it's extremely hard to to bring to bring to life, so to speak. And they were, who were they ever able to do it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love that's that that mud the fight in the mud with the mutant leader was really the pinnacle of it. Yeah, the little touch with the bubbles as Batman's actually drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another little touch too when Robin shoots the mutant leader uh, with those little balls from her slingshot. They don't just hit him and bounce off. If you actually pay attention, his skin actually divots. Or is that the you know the, he the, when they hit him, his skin actually uh, well they make flexes yeah. a little. They make little divots in him. Yeah, I had the right word. Okay, I don't know why I questioned myself. And then they bounce off, and then his skin comes back to normal. That's not something they had to do, but they did it. They did it just to add that little extra touch to it. And then after Batman breaks his leg. Um, and he's staring at him, and all the rain just washes the mud off his face, off his mask. You know, that is, it, it's just, oh, it's, it's oh. perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying not to say it, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> oh, um, there was something, I, I think I did have one slight gripe with that scene, and I'm not seeing it in my notes, so maybe I'm wrong? Did I not have a grape with it? I thought I did. No, oh, well. you didn't. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> um, so then after that, of course, we come back to the framing story. Now, what are your thoughts about this here? Uh, it's it's Firefly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what can you really say? Um, mm-hmm. And I think Firefly makes some kind of note or remark about some about chemicals being expensive, but apparently all that equipment he's using isn't. So I mean, <laughs> I, but then we griped about that in the le- in the first time we saw Firefly, where yeah. you know he has apparently all this money to create this this suit uh, and this flame throwing gun and this lightsaber flame thing, but he doesn't put it to better use than stealing shit. Well, see, that's that's the problem with almost any supervillain, and not just Firefly. You know, they'll spend millions of dollars coming up with a scheme that will only earn them ten million or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but they've clearly spent like fifty million. Like, what was it? The uh, the the one with uh, shit the the secret of Bruce Wayne? No, what Hugo was that Strange. Well, yeah, what was the episode called though? Well, the Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, there we go. Where he's he's got this whole complex, he's got this whole thing, and then he, you know, how much money is he really going to get for that tape? You know, when com- compared to how much money he spent to build that that well, whole with him, you could kind of excuse it because he was doing it. He'd been doing it for a long time. So it was a very long running scheme. So I mean, he okay, blackma- okay. he had blackmailed hundreds and hundreds of people. So you could kind of excuse it there. Okay, but okay, so I'm wrong about that one. But we've seen it before. Poison Ivy. We've definitely seen it. Yeah, plenty of times, plenty of characters, they spend so much money 
coming up with these schemes, and at the end of the day, they're not going to net that much. <laughs> it's like a movie that has this ridiculously big budget, and they only net, you know, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, a, a Yuva Bowl movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much, exactly, exactly, you know, you, you spend, you know, 25 million making it, but you only get released in 10 theaters, so you only make up, like, five grand. This goes back to my highly scientific theory that uh, Yuva Bowl is a supervillain, so, there, I'm glad I could tie that in there somehow. <laughs> Um, getting back to the episode at hand, um, <laughs> my only real problem with the framing story is that the animation there is kind of weak. I have no problem with the fact that the story itself is kind of weak because really they didn't have much time. They spent like seven minutes, seven, eight minutes on the opening campy story. They spent like another seven or so minutes on the Dark Knight Return story. That doesn't leave him much time to get Firefly in and then have Batman kick him, kick his ass and save the kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and because they didn't have much time, I'm actually glad they used Firefly and they didn't job out like the Joker or the Penguin or a villain who really is worth a damn. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know Firefly has his fans and I don't mean to disparage them, but I'm talking in terms of the cartoon. The Firefly character just hasn't been presented as a formidable foe where all of Batman's primary villains have been. So to have to have the Penguin pop up and get knocked out with one punch in a minute would have done the character a great injustice. Sort of like if they had a story where a bunch of kids beat him up. I wonder what we might be referencing there. Uh, I love, I do love, uh, uh, something about that, the, the kick Firefly's ass scene. And that was, uh, you know, really Batman making, uh, making good on all the kids stories really, because, you know, he kicks the villain's ass in in a hardcore way, a la, the the uh, the Dark Knight Returns, and he busts out a little pun, a la the 1950s story, and uh, you know, and he saves he saves uh, the kids. So that again, that goes back to the the uh, the uh, female Robin Carrie being saved. So it was a it wrapped up everything, and it made it made them all look like, hey, you know, see, I was right. Hey, I was right too. Well, also with the the first kid whose story we never see, we just hear. Right, he. Batman shoots his grapple, and he but he sees Batman fly away. Right, and remember he thinks Batman has wings, you know, so it fits his too. Um, the only thing I would say that I would have liked to have seen is when the kids were watching the fight. If just briefly, just for a second or two, it went back to the various styles. So when Batman knocked over Firefly, he looked like the Dark Knight Returns Batman. When he delivered the pun. He looked like the 1950s Batman. When he flew away, maybe he didn't quite look demonic, but his shape changed a little to show, to kind of get it across. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I just think that would have been neat. Sort of like how I think it would have been neat if during Old Wounds, if the flashback sequences had been in the Batman the Animated Series design style. But like I said about Old Wounds, I don't think... Not doing it in, in that style hurt the episode at all. It didn't hurt this episode to to not uh, briefly change the the design when he was fighting Firefly. I'm just saying it would have been a nice little touch. There you are, Jonathan and Martha. We've been waiting for you. Ah, and this must be Kara, about whom I've heard so much. I'm not you, the man from the bus station. The Reverend Amos Howell at your service, a humble traveler spreading the word of unity. 
Which is what, exactly? The one true source of universal bliss. Nations fall and demigods fade, but only unity is absolute, all-encompassing and eternal. Oof. Does Pastor Ross know about this? No, he was among the first converts. Your step-parents, your neighbors, indeed everyone in Smallville has embraced the call of unity. Now it is time for you to do the same. Next up is the Superman the Animated Series episode called Unity. In this one, Supergirl has to leave Smallville for a quick little holiday to Metropolis. And as she's leaving, a really creepy-looking, long-haired guy comes into town. And, uh, you know, she kind of blows him off. She He just kind of uh, gives her a little shiver, and that's it. But when she returns back to Smallville, it turns out that this creepy-looking, long-haired guy has uh, basically infected everybody with some sort of uh, alien spore that connects them all to some giant squid-like squishy tentacled alien thing. Um, <laughs> and if she attacks any one person, um, including Ma and Pa Kent, that are connected to this, and that also includes the leader of this group, it hurts everybody else. And if she attacks the giant monster, again, it hurts everybody else. So she has to find a way to win this battle without injuring the townsfolk of Smallville. Um, and, of course, this is just a Supergirl episode. Superman does show up, and he helps save the day by um, committing murder. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So, oh, thoughts about this episode, Sir James? Hi, I'm Desmond Reddick. Fuck this episode. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck yeah, this episode. This is bad. Um, yeah, going in to this one, I, you know, I kind of looked it up online because I really didn't remember it. And I saw some reviews for it saying it was the worst episode in all of Superman the Animated Series. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to go in with a relatively open mind, you know? And I guess that got shot uh, shot down oh, two minutes into the episode. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Ah, I, this is just bad. I mean, the animation is terrible. The story is just downright stupid. Oh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll give you the honest truth. As I was watching this, I was wishing for Farmer Brown. <laughs> I was like, I was seriously, I was like, you know, I wish Farmer Brown would come back with his mutagenic animals and attack Smallville. That would have been that that would have been cool. Er than this alien guy that I don't fully understand what he's doing. You know, I, I look at this guy's scheme, and I understand he's trying to take over the planet with this alien thing like he's done, I don't know, dozens or hundreds of times before. But my biggest question is, you're really going to start in Smallville, Kansas? Really? Really. You're not going to start maybe in, I don't know, a metropolis? Called Metropolis or, or some other or Tokyo yeah, or some or... other big city. I'm going to start in some farm community with maybe, I don't know, 1500 people that really, no, 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 you're going to start with the city. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, this is just, oh, <laughs> bad. Oh, I, and you know, speaking of, you know, the farmer Brown episode critters, I mean, you remember we were so 
appalled that they ended it the way they did with, oh, no, he could be back. Well, there you go. Yeah. He could have been back here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ugh. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'm no, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I was going to say, I was going to say you, a minute ago, you had said that pretty much two minutes in, you know, this is a bad episode. And the very first note I wrote down comes within the first two minutes. Um, Kara, Supergirl, she says to Ma and Pa, what's so good about being normal? And I forget if it's Ma or Pa, but one of them says, if it's good enough for us humans, it's good enough for you. Now, I understand what they're trying to get across here. That's pretty much the way they raise Clark. You know, you might be from another planet, but you're, you're human at heart. Okay. But here's the thing. They don't know what it's like to be an alien with superpowers. So to say, if it's good enough for us, it's good enough for you, doesn't make any sense. It, not in the slightest. Because they can't see it from her point of view. And she can't see it from their point of view. They're never really going to agree on that point. I think it was a terrible line. Terrible. Yeah. Them simple farm folk. <laughs> and then the worst part is, is that they try to bring the line back at the end. After everything's back to, well, normal, Kara basically says something like, oh, I'm glad for a normal day or something like that. But it's like, that's not the lesson they were trying to teach you in the beginning. They were trying to teach you not to use your powers irresponsibly and all that in the beginning. They weren't trying to teach you that a slow, normal day is okay. That's, ugh. I, I hate when they're trying to teach a lesson, but they totally miss the point, you know? <laughs> it's like watching a Pokemon episode or something. <laughs> Hey, don't be knocking Pokemon. <laughs> well, I mean, I love the video games, but the, the cartoon, uh, wow. That, that's a, that's another story for another day. Um, hey, so, some of those episodes were mildly amusing. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm going to jump right into when Supergirl is um, talking about being in Metropolis, she's fighting Volcana. Okay, first off, uh -huh. why did Volcana return to a life of crime? Uh-huh. Um, and then we get some absolutely atrocious puns that were probably uh, first spoken back in the 1860s. <laughs> and uh, and then we compound it with Supergirl punching Volcana in the face. Uh, that would have killed her by my estimation, right? Am I, I'm, I'm right, aren't I? I believe so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's like a trifecta from hell. It, you've got you've got Volcana returning for no reason. You've got the puns, and you got Supergirl punching her in the face. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, my brain is <laughs> uh, liquid shit. <laughs> you know, because okay, I, I understand what this episode was trying to do. They were trying to do like a horror sci-fi kind of vibe. Yeah, but it just failed on every level. You know, I give them credit for trying something new. You know, it is the monster of the week, you know, and oftentimes the monster of the week is some sort of alien, but we don't get the horror aspect of it. And that's what they were doing here because the small villains, is that what they would be called? The small villettes? Small what villains. Small, yeah. Small villains. That's what we'll call them. Okay. The small villains, you know, they kind of turn into brains type monsters or zombies. They're, they're like unity or whatever they're saying, but it doesn't come off as scary at all. It's... Because I think it's because we didn't really get enough of it. We didn't get to actually see them do anything. You know, they free Ma Kent from it. They take her to the hospital. She accidentally infects two of the uh, doctors there. They're stopped. 
And then the whole town is stopped. We never actually get to see the townsfolk do anything frightening to make us kind of sit on the edge of our seat and go, oh my God, oh my God, how are Superman and Supergirl going to stop this? And then for me, the worst thing they did in this is that they turned X-ray vision into a weapon. That's not what Superman uses X-ray vision for. You know, he uses it to look through buildings to see how many hostages there are. He does other things with it, but he doesn't use it to stop enemies by melting them. That's that's not what it's for. And to me, I'm almost wondering if that's how they came up with this episode. Someone was like, how can we make X-ray vision cool? I know, let's make it deadly. Well, if, okay. I don't know. if I guess if you're exposed to it long enough, they'll get cancer. <laughs> and, and hey, fine, but it's still not a weapon because he has to stare at you for 10 years, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that wasn't even my biggest gripe. My biggest gripe with this whole episode is... The whole time Supergirl and Superman are fighting this thing, I couldn't figure out what it was weak to and what it wasn't. Because supposedly, you know, when they attack uh, Unity or someone attached to it, the entire thing and everyone else gets hurt too. So, mm-hmm. And they show Supergirl disintegrating that one Unity blob with the uh, gas canister. Shouldn't that have just annihilated everybody? Right, exactly. That, they were, they were so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And then... As I said in the recap about Superman winning the battle by committing murder, he grabs, I forget if it was Unity or if it was the long-haired creepy guy, but he grabbed one of them in their alien forms and he ripped it in half. Villain or not, this is a sentient being that Superman just tore in two. Huh? Superman? Really? Superman's a dick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but i mean not oh, not so much here because uh you know for what that thing whatever that thing was but yeah mm-hmm. that's ridiculous <laughs> absolutely ridiculous <sighs> just just knock it out and send it back into space and we'll just assume it survived not not ripping it i mean because he violently rips it in half yeah it doesn't happen off panel or off screen i should say it literally happens on screen. We see it. And then it's laying there in two halves, kind of wiggling around, well, dying. Well, the other one is burning alive behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Supergirl. I mean, right, see, I, here's the thing. I understand it's a villain. It's a dastardly villain. It deserved to die. But it's still Superman doing that. And you have to take that into consideration. Would Superman really do that? Mm, I don't know. We've seen him not kill some other people who are pretty damn bad he doesn't go ripping luthor's head off and look at all the shit he's done (laughs) you know luthor's got metropolis under his thumb he's ruined countless lives had lord knows how many people killed but superman allows him to walk around oh but because this is an alien i'll just rip him in two no 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 Uh yeah uh you know right here in the middle of my notes this is this is the thing i wrote so stupid you know, th- that's pretty much my last thought about this one. But please, you, please continue. <laughs> um, I only have a couple more things to say. There were some okay animations, a- animation moments at, for like two seconds, like when creepy preacher dude um, suddenly get, grows this humongously long mouth with that really creepy smile. I thought that was kind of cool. That was that was really creepy and in a good way. Um, and there was another one I just can't remember off the top of my head. And, uh, but other than that, yeah, the animation in this episode is absolutely atrocious. And I didn't understand the introduction of, like, the potential love interest for Kara. 
Like, they introduce this boy who gives her the comics that clearly has a crush on her, and we never see him again. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think we see him later on in this episode, but I mean, we never see him in the rest of the Superman cartoon. He never comes back up in Justice League. Why did they even bother introducing a potential love interest for Kara? Or even if she doesn't love him back, someone that has a crush on her, right at the end of the show. There's only one more episode. Okay, well, well, okay, at this point, two more episodes left. Beyond this, it, it, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't get what they were thinking. Yeah, I don't. I really don't. They're, they're coming towards an end of the show, and it seems to me like they were just completely slacking off. And they were just saying, you know what, let's just put all our time and energy into, uh, Legacy is the last one, right? Yep. Yeah, let's put all our time and energy into that, and we'll just hand this off to the intern. That that's what this that's what this seemed like to me. Your hyenas have been watering my plants again. One more time, and they're mulch. Come on, Red, give them a break. We're all bored, cooped up in here. What do you say we get dolled up and go into town? America's most wanted women on a shopping spree. Cute. I've told you a thousand times, we have to keep a low profile. We can't attract Batman's attention until we have some kind of an edge. Well, ladies, meet your edge. Next up is the Gotham Knights episode, Girls Night Out. Uh, in this episode, <sighs> Livewire is being <laughs> transferred to Gothcorp for treatment that will supposedly make her normal again, but she escapes, much to my chagrin. Batgirl, meanwhile, is on patrol in the Batmobile because Batman is out of town for some unsaid reason, and uh, she sees Livewire in her energy form traveling along some power lines, and Livewire then attacks the Batmobile, uh, and meanwhile... While this is going on, we see Kara sitting in Clark's apartment, uh, house-sitting uh, in utter boredom while Clark is away. And so Batman calls Kara uh, – or Clark calls Clark's apartment, I should say, and Kara answers. And he tells her what's going on and that Clark needs to find Livewire, uh, quote-unquote, he wants to get the story. So <laughs> Kara knows exactly what's going on here, and she takes the opportunity to fly off to Gotham and help Batgirl – who's having all kinds of problems dealing with LimeWire. Uh, lime wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my God. LiveWire. <laughs> so uh, Supergirl makes it onto the scene in the nick of time, but she's taken down by LiveWire, uh, live and uh, fortunately for them, she, she runs out of power and has to flee, flee, scurry away. So uh, Supergirl and Batgirl agree to team up and uh, stop LiveWire, thinking, you know, how hard could it be for two of them with... Uh, their talents to stop one woman. Well, Livewire decides to enlist help of her own in the forms of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. So they break into a mall and start robbing ATMs, and uh, Livewire starts bossing them around, particularly Harley. And so Supergirl and Batgirl uh, find Livewire, and they manage to take her down, but Ivy traps Supergirl, and Harley knocks out Batgirl, and Supergirl breaks loose, stops Ivy, but... She unleashes a plant allergen on Batgirl, which lets them get away. So Supergirl takes Batgirl back to Clark's apartment in Metropolis, where Barbara uh, recovers. Uh-uh, uh-uh. They go back to Barbara's apartment. Oh, do they? I'm sorry. I thought they took... Yeah, because remember remember all of uh, Barbara's equipment in the room? 
Oh, right, right. I thought, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I had the... no, no, no worries. Okay, yeah. So anyway, uh, Barbara's recovering, and she hacks into the police computer while they start, you know, talking about how shitty their lives are and how they wish they were the other one. And uh, <laughs> so back in Gotham, the uh, trio of femme fatales is uh, at the Iceberg Lounge for some reason where they just all start arguing out of nowhere. So Penguin tries to throw them out, and they unleash a torrent of electricity and plant life, scaring everyone away. And that girl and Supergirl find out from Penguin where Ivy and Harley are, and they head off to stop all of them and save the day. <laughs> Take it away, Mike, please. <laughs> I actually don't mind this one, i got to tell you. See, that's the thing. I, mean, I have an above-average grade for this one, but there's, there's a lot of problems with this episode. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you right off the bat what I like about this one, and that's the dynamic between Livewire and Harley. Because if you think about it, Livewire is a lot like Ivy in that she's a very strong-willed, I-don't-need-a-man kind of woman. So when she comes across Harley Quinn, who's a bit of an idiot and is very much in love with the Joker and very much is subservient to him, it's going to bother her to see not just another person, but another woman that's like that. So the fact that they're at odds throughout pretty much the whole episode, um, not necessarily beating each other up, but Livewire lets her know that she doesn't like Harley. Um, yeah, I, I, I dug that dynamic. Because that's something they could have completely glossed over. They could have had these three be the best of pals as they went about their uh, uh, ATM day spree. Yeah, you know, robbing ATMs, the mall, and beating up the the heroes. You know, they they could have left it at that, but they took a little extra time to actually set up some uh, uh, friction between the villains. I mean, it doesn't play into like their downfall or anything like that, which I was glad for. Cause I hate that. I hate when there's like two or three villains and they don't get along and that ends up being their downfall. Cause then it's like, why did you team up to begin with? You know? Um, but it's just there. It, it's just there. Yeah. So I, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but there's a lot more I enjoyed about it, but we'll get to that. What are, what are some of your thoughts about this one? Um, like I said, I, I like, uh, I like that we have, you know, Supergirl and Batgirl teaming up. It was kind of fun. Ed. And, uh, the, but the, I'm going to have to go right off to the animation here. The animation in this episode at times is just really off. Um, What's especially it? in the mall. Um, uh, when Poison Ivy saunters up to that fat mall guard, it doesn't mm. even look like her legs are moving. She's just kind of, it's like they took a c- cardboard or construction paper cutout and were mm. like moving the Poison Ivy cardboard cutout along the, the the backdrop or something it was just i can see it was, i can see what you're saying it's sort of like in the uh going back to the legend of the dark knight when in the 1950s version uh of the cartoon they would just have the heroes kind of just slide into panel yeah or into frame i should say mm-hmm. it's like they were still doing that but with the modern designs and it doesn't quite work that way so okay I, i'll give you that sure and um i I don't know what was going on with Harley, the voice acting for Harley here, but when she, you know, when she's bashing the uh, the things, whatever it is, the door and the ATM with the, uh, the hammer, uh-huh. it's just like uh uh uh. There's no there's no emphasis in it at all. It, it really took me out of the scene. I'll tell you the truth, because if you're swinging a huge mallet around, you sh- you probably should be going like uh uh, just with a little more emphasis into it. It was just 
yeah, it took me out of the scene because it was just so lame. Um, I didn't pick up on that at all. And it's the same. I, I thought she was kind of putting a lot into it, but I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go watch it later. I don't know. But it's just – see, I think the thing here is I don't have one huge gripe with this episode. I just have a bunch of little gripes. Uh, yeah, and, and that can, of course, add up to less than great feelings about an episode. We've seen that happen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say a- another thing I'll give this episode, Supergirl upskirt. <laughs> you noticed that too. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, you noticed that too. Yeah, and I, I wasn't looking for it. I'm not meaning to be perverted. I'm not doing that at all. There's very clearly a scene where we can see Supergirl's panties. You can't miss it. Supergirl's flying along, and she's got Batgirl on her back um, as they're flying over Gotham. And they do a shot where she flies in front of what would be the camera and then away from us. And you can see she's wearing some white underwear. And it's like, I, I was wondering how they didn't catch that. Yeah. You know, because that was very clearly uh, the, one of the animators having a little fun. Mm-hmm. And the production crew probably just, I mean, they're, they're in a rush. As we know, um, they were producing this along with Superman. Or, yeah, they were producing this and Superman at the same time, and they were prepping Batman Beyond. Yep. So think about that. They were working on three shows at one time. Something like this, it just got past all of them. But it's a neat little treat, we'll say, for fans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to try and find a a bigger uh, problem here. Uh, one, One of them is... How did Livewire know where Ivy and Quinn were hiding when nobody else did? They were in hiding. Yeah. Nobody knew where they are, but Livewire just knows. Yeah, it, it's something – I'm going to try to justify this, and Lord knows why I'm going to. Maybe because I do like this episode. Um, they've never said this about Livewire's powers, but maybe you could say that because she's an electrical being and because she was in the, the electrical – the electrical wires and whatnot that allows her to be at several points at once. And therefore she just coincidentally found the other femme fatales question mark. (laughs) I don't, you know, I I don't know. I'm trying to justify it when I know there's really no way to justify it. You just have to chalk it up to ultra coincidence, not just coincidence, ultra coincidence (laughs) because you're right. Cause the heroes don't even know where, where the uh, Ivy and Harley are staying. And one of them lives in the city. So she should know, but they only find out through the penguin who only thinks maybe he knows. And he's only heard it through the grapevine. So he's not even a hundred percent sure, but yeah, Livewire finds them. It is a little uh, dubious. We'll say. Mm-hmm. Then the Livewire apparently doesn't have enough power to zap Batgirl in that first fight scene, but then she has enough power to teleport away. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> I would like to know how the hierarchy of transmutative electricity works. Just, I mean, you know, just for yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that because I was like, no, I, I don't want to mention any, too many grapes because I kind of enjoy this one on some weird level. <laughs> That's all right. I'll just, I can say all the grapes because I have, I have dubious feelings about this episode. <laughs> um, uh. There was... A blatant mistake, though, and this is something that has to be mentioned. Remember after Supergirl saves Batgirl from the toxin and she flies through the top of the mall and all the rubble starts to come down in the mall? Yeah. Just, you know, not a lot, but just a little. Uh, Harley, she, she she's driving some sort of pink car in the mall 
and she drives it around the rubble. And then she pulls up next to Ivy and Ivy hops in the car and they all go back to Ivy's hideout. Correct. Yeah. If you look at the, the scene when Harley's driving around the rubble before she picks up Ivy, Ivy's in the car. <laughs> Harley's driving, uh, Sparky's in the back and Ivy's in the passenger seat. And then in the next scene, she's picking up Ivy and it's like, whoops, that was a bit of a mistake. And like I said, you, yeah. It's sort of like the upskirt. You, it, you know, you really can't miss it. It's it's as plain as day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, speaking of that mall scene, I mean, how did Poison Ivy know that Supergirl would use her heat vision uh, when she was throwing those seeds at uh, Batgirl? I mean, yeah. first off, she didn't even know. I don't even know if she knew at this point that Supergirl was involved. Maybe she, maybe, I guess, uh, maybe live... Livewire told, uh, told yeah, them. She might have. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's like, that's almost terrible trio levels of bullshit planning ahead. Oh, I know what what's going to happen. I got to plan ahead for this. That's it's yeah. ridiculous. There's no way I yeah. knew that Supergirl was going to use her heat vision to unleash this allergen on Batgirl. Yeah, unless the only way you could justify it is if she had fought Superman before or if they had met in battle. Before Supergirl and Ivy, that is, you know what I'm saying? And this was their second fight. And then she knew what she was. No, but this is the very first time they've ever bumped into each other. But I knew what you were going to do. Save her or capture me. Well, she's got super speed, so she could really do both because she could just punch you in the nose with just the tip of her finger and, and knock you out. And then go save her friend. And it would all take place in a matter of a quarter of a second. You know? I I always hate when I see... I don't mind when someone like Batman is put in that situation. But when you got someone like Superman or Supergirl or The Flash or even Green Lantern who can pretty much do whatever they want, you know, at the speed of light or at the speed of thought, it, it doesn't work for me. No. <laughs> it, it's, it's a bit of bullshit, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> and then... uh then we go to their back to their hideout for the last scenes, and uh, hardly knew Supergirl was looking at her through the wall. Yeah. How exactly? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, I I get what they were trying to go for. She gives she sticks her tongue out at Supergirl using her X-ray vision, but that's just it's stupid. Harley is not a psychic. She doesn't have X-ray vision. You know the deadly X-ray vision. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's just stupid. Yeah, the the only because that scene's always bothered me. Every time I see this one, I'm like, oh, here comes the the the, the, the tongue face thing. The only way that would have worked for me is if she was sticking her tongue out the whole time, waiting for Supergirl to look through the wall. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As if they but she over. knows exactly when to turn around and do it. Because if if it was the other way, for all we know, Harley's been standing like that for five minutes. And you know what? I'd buy it. You know why? It's because Harley it's Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. I can buy her standing face against a wall with her tongue out, knowing that Supergirl's eventually going to see her. I can buy it. But turning around at the exact right moment, nope, doesn't work for me. Doesn't work at all. Nope. Um, <laughs> I will give this, uh, that's uh, the ensuing scene, one thing. Livewire tells Ivy to take Supergirl while she gets Batgirl. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's real fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Live live wires a, a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Harley using the boxing glove gun on Supergirl. <laughs> That's what I was just about to bring up. Tries to use the boxing glove and it comes back and hits her in her own face. 
out of the battle. There we go. We don't have to worry about her anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then she dies in the fire because we never see her again. <laughs> or does she? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, well, we kind of are, yeah. are going to talk about her in probably about half an hour, but yeah, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's quite kind of silly to forget a character like that. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oy. Um, there were a couple of questions I had involving some background characters. Um, and I, I, if you didn't notice it, that's fine. I, I don't expect that you did, but I have to bring it up nonetheless. When they're doing the establishing shot of the Iceberg Lounge, there's an older gentleman that walks in front of the lounge. He's wearing a t- tuxedo. And I swear I've seen that model before in use, too. Not just as a background character, but I couldn't place it. Um, so James, if you go back and happen to notice him or if any of our listeners, uh, happen to throw this one in and can tell me where we've seen that model before, please do. Cause it was bugging the hell out of me along those same lines at the end when Bullock is talking to the reporter, I'm 99% sure the model for that reporter is the same as the district attorney who replaced Harvey Dent. Remember the episode where, uh, that DA had to defend Batman? Yeah, I, it was her, oh, Van but I Dorn, think yes. a, yeah, Van Dorn, that's it, with a slight, I think here she was blonde, and I think Van Dorn was a brunette. Yes, she was. So I think all they did was change her hair color, but it's still the model. I'm pretty sure it's still the model. But yeah, if we could have someone go back and look at that, uh, and let me know if I'm right about that, and where that guy uh, is from, I'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Um, um, so I, sorry, I didn't little... notice, I just <laughs> didn't notice it, sorry. No, that, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, something else I noticed that I've never noticed before and I thought was a nice little touch is uh, Supergirl, Supergirl, pardon me, has these like little bows on her boots, like ne- sort of near the top, almost where the shoelace would be if they were like wrestling boots, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, do, do, yeah, they lace their boots up. Yeah, they do. Okay. Well, at the time, <laughs> I'm trying to think if wrestlers lace their boots. Of course they do, you big dummy. Um, it, it's not a bow as if she's tied laces, but it's like a little bow, almost like a bow you would put in your hair, just at the top of each boot. <laughs> and I haven't noticed that in any of her other appearances, so I don't know if it's something they just threw in here or if it's always been there and I've never paid attention. i have to pay attention to that for Justice League because I never noticed that either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where if it's there, it's there, and if it's not, it's not. I mean, you're not going to gripe about something like that because you just say she got new boots yeah. if they're not there, you know. But uh, like I said, again, it was just a nice little touch, and I I always appreciate those nice little touches. Yeah, because um, it helps set her apart from her cousin. Yeah, and uh, that's what she. I think she wants to do that for pretty much throughout the entire DCAU. She wants to. She wants to be. Uh, she wants to be uh, recognized as uh, as being a heroic person like her cousin, quote unquote. But she wants to be her own person too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, speaking of Supergirl, this episode is telling me that she is hurt by leaves. <laughs> Supergirl but is they're, hurt by they're, leaves. But they're, they're super leaves. <laughs> they had kryptonite in them because Ivy knew what was going to happen. Ah, so she planted kryptonite in her garden for that day when Livewire showed up and brought Supergirl in tow. <laughs> Oh, I don't even know what to say that, but it's pretty pretty damn funny. <laughs> yeah, 
But I have to say... <laughs> no, you're right, yeah, you're I right. <laughs> I do have to say that the screams that those plant things made when they were dying was pretty damn creepy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a nice yeah. little touch. I'll, I'll give this episode that because that was... It was a very unique sound effect. And I can't even begin to describe it. You you just have to go back and watch it for those of you who haven't seen this episode. Yeah, and there's also a throwback line, too, when uh, I think it's the elephant is on fire. I think that's the scene. Ivy yells, my babies! And if I remember correctly, isn't that the same thing she yelled in the episode where she made those plant babies yes. and they started to all die? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, ni- nice little throwback there. So even though they're not in human form, she still sees these plants as babies, as she would because she's poison ivy. Yeah. Um, you know, I hate to bring it to this level, but <laughs> it's me, so I'm gonna. Um, there was a line that... I don't think they meant in any sort of mature way, but if you know the, mm, we'll say subtext, what people, yeah, if you know the subtext behind Ivy and Harley's relationship, there was a very curious line, and I will read it for you. This is Ivy speaking to uh, Livewire. You're not going to get all hissy and rude again now that we've kissed and made up. <laughs> like, oh, oh. Oh, now I know what she's talking about. She the made up is the fight that they had against the penguin. You know, because they united against him, that's their way of making up. I get it. But we're talking about two characters in that scene who are at the very least bi curious, we'll say. Um, and now they add a third character into the mix and they're all back at, you know, their pad. It could be read a different way. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I only have uh, two more things to say about this episode, and they're they're both pretty uh, they're positive things. So I'll end this on a positive note. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good. Uh, one. What was what sold it the best was Harley's uh, pause and the her facial expression. Mm. <laughs> it was great. She just kind of looks away, and then and then just smiles, says yeah. <laughs> oh man! And then the other thing I'll say was. Uh, I like uh, I like Bullock's final line to end it, the little backhanded compliment. That was kind of that was kind of nice. You know, he uh, he doesn't really like the Bat family all that much, you know. But uh, he'll and you know he knows damn near nothing about the Superman family. So it was a nice little Bullock moment there. It was per- it was really perfect Bullock dialogue with the the backhanded compliment. Yeah, it, it was. But frankly, it boils down to the fact that there are two cute little perky girls in tight clothing. That's the only reason he's giving them any sort of compliment. Which, and I'm not saying that because he's a guy. I'm saying it because he's Harvey Bullock. That's true. You know? But he was treating them like shit earlier. <laughs> no, definitely he was. But that comment at the end, the, the compliment, I should say, was very clearly um, him trying to get in good with them for future meetings, we'll say. <laughs> oh, Harvey, if only you knew who Batgirl was. <laughs> You'd stop right where you were. <laughs> Just happen to be in the neighborhood? Do you have any idea who they are? The Society of Shadows. I've been trailing them for weeks, hoping they'd lead me to Rachel Ghoul. Who? A criminal mastermind. More dangerous than the Joker and Luthor put together. All I know is they were breaking the law in my town. Leave it to you to charge in with both arms swinging. If you were going to operate in Metropolis, you should have filled me in. Next time I'll fax my itinerary. I mean it. I'd like to help. Next up is the Superman the Animated Series episode, The Demon Reborn. In this one, um, 
uh, Superman fights Rachel Ghoul. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember this one. Um, let's see. Uh, there is a Native American artifact exhibit coming to Metropolis. And uh, one of these items uh, has some sort of mystical powers. And it is stolen by some masked fiends, one of whom turns out to be Talia Al Ghul. Dum, dum, dum. And we find out throughout the course of the episode that they need this artifact to rejuvenate uh, Raish, who is now looking very bad. In fact, he looks almost as bad as Arcady, his son, yeah. from the Jonah Hex episode. He's in the wheelchair. He's broken down. He's got the liver spots and everything. You know, that that's how bad he is. But despite how bad he is looking, he still has time to shave his little weird little beard thing. But anyways, <laughs> I'm looking at this. I'm like, when does he have time to still keep the kind of stylish beard? Thing? Maybe he has. But okay. Do it. <laughs> Maybe. So anyways, uh, of course, Superman gets involved uh, because this is happening in Metropolis. Um, but because it also involves Raish, Batman gets involved. So we get another uh, Superman-Batman team up. Um, and along the way... Superman is uh, taken captive by Talia because she uses the staff against him because, uh, as we all know, Superman is uh, weak to magic. So that's why this thing is able to take hold of him. And what they're going to do is they're going to sap Superman's strength out of his body and put it in Raish's. The reason they're doing this is because the Lazarus pits just aren't doing it for Raish anymore. Basically, if you were to walk into one 10 minutes later, he'd be the old man again. It's And is that something they've addressed before? Because here they flat out say that every time he enters a Lazarus pit, the effect wears off much quicker. I don't remember them ever saying that before. No, all they all are. But all of a sudden, it's just there. It's, you know, we're just supposed to accept it. So, But whatever. So he starts stealing Superman's strength. He turns into, like, the Hulk. He becomes totally jacked up, like, the size of Bane. Knocks Batman around, knocks Superman around, and at the end of the episode, Talia and Raish apparently die, but, uh, did they? And Superman and Batman, uh, kind of have some parting words for each other, and, uh, Batman says something to the effect of, you know, there might be something to this partnership business after all. And then he's just like, nah. <laughs> which I thought was nice because it laid some little seeds for the Justice League, which we would get a few years down the line. Um, but that pretty much, I think, synopsizes this one. So, thoughts? I like this episode. Um, now, before I go any further, I, I, we spoke very briefly off uh, off the air here. Um, why do you – I don't think you like this episode very much. No. Um, so no. you go first. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, I'll tell you why. First off, I think the animation is extremely poor. I hate the way Raish looks when he becomes like super Hulk Bane Raish. It's just, it just doesn't look right. And I'm not saying that because I'm used to Raish El Ghul looking a certain way. It just doesn't even look like Raish El Ghul jacked up at all. Um, I think the general idea behind the episode is kind of lacking. Um, I don't know if I can elaborate more than that. I think that might just be just preference. Um, and I just, I thought it was a really poor send-off for Raish and Talia. I mean, I know 
Talia comes back in Batman Beyond, but we never see, well, I guess so does Rage 2, in so, a way, yeah. right? Right, but until we get there, this is the last we ever see of these characters, and I think it was a terrible place to leave them. And to make it a bat, or excuse me, a Superman episode and not a Batman episode, I thought was the bigger crime. These are Batman's villains, not Superman's, but their farewell, in quotes, is in a Superman episode? Really? No, no. Um, Talia, unless I'm mistaken, was voiced by a completely different actress. It's, she, she was terrible, sounded nothing like Talia, lacked all of Talia's heart. When Talia says, beloved, you actually feel like she means it. This woman, it was, she was just reading a line. The one time she said, beloved, it just fell completely flat for me. Just, there really wasn't anything about this episode that held my interest at all. Um, so, but what was it that you liked about this one? I remember liking it from years and years ago, and a lot of that carried over because you're right. The animation in this episode is poor at best, mm-hmm. uh, especially the effects of that shaman staff thing. And uh, another, actually, another animation gripe I have here is with that staff itself. Um, Talia pulls that thing out of uh, Lois Lane blouse, <laughs> and that thing did she? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, when, uh, when she and Superman are on that rooftop after Superman saves her from falling off the clock tower, she pulls mm. it out. Oh, I forgot to mention that in the recap, of course. Yeah, Talia tricks Superman into a trap by pretending to be Lois. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Lois is just a plot device here. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, she pulls the whole staff out of the blouse. <laughs> and that thing is, like, supposed to be a staff. It, it can go, come up to, like, your chest or something. <laughs> I was like, wow, where's she, where's she hiding the rest of that exactly? <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, everything you said is completely valid. And I find, I found myself nodding along in agreement with you the whole time. And I don't know. I just, it's one of those episodes I can't explain why I like very much. I just, the Batman's uh, action scenes were pretty cool where he's fighting the, the ninja guys in the, the airport uh, in the garage, the airport garage. Uh, yeah, because doesn't he break one of those guys' arms? Yes, very clearly on okay, camera. Yeah. He breaks right. his arm. Right. Yeah, that I'll give this episode. I will definitely give this episode that. Um, but the you know the fight scene at the end with Superman, Batman, and super jacked up Hulk. Bane race just that didn't do it for me. That one felt that wasn't flat. Even much of a fight scene. It was just Batman trying to get yeah. away, and then he gets captured, and then race just beats the fuck out of him. Yeah, pretty much so. Oh. Um, and now let me ask this: Are you are you favoring this one because it's a race episode? No, could that factor into? You know what I'm saying? Like certain people will like episodes, like they'll watch an episode, they know it's not a great episode, but it's a penguin episode, and damn it, they're a penguin fan, so they're going to stand behind it. You know, is are, is that what you're doing here? Because it's a race episode, and you admittedly like the character of Rachel. Oh, I do. And if you're doing that, I'm not knocking it. I'm just trying to understand where you might be coming from. That's all. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, but I think the only characters really that uh, I would classify that fall under that for me would be Mad Hatter and the Riddler. But okay, okay. I, but I do, I do. I am a, I am an admitted Rachel Ghoul fan, uh, and uh, maybe that was it. 
because yeah, when you were talking about how uh, Raish and Talia uh, make their exit, shall we say, um, by mm-hmm. falling off that cliff cave and we never see them again, I completely agree. That was a horrible way for them to never be seen again except for you know in Batman Beyond because Raish al Ghul should have come back in Justice League. There is no excuse for him to have not come back in Justice League. He is the kind of person who can threaten the Justice League as a whole. And that yeah. that does that makes me really hate the way that uh, that he was taken out of the DCAU here, more or less, we'll say. But yeah. um, I think one thing I really liked about this episode was uh, uh, when Superman is trying to stop the train, and then the the Batmobile makes its way <laughs> into the scene on the <laughs> railroad tracks, and I like that. It's just old. That's just the kid in me loving the action with the Batmobile <laughs> and Superman trying to stop a an out of control train. <laughs> I admit it. I admit it. I'm just a kid at heart. <laughs> and then, and um, then there's, uh, you know, they called back to Bruce and Lois's relationship. That's what I was just going to bring up. Yeah, that's another thing I'll give this episode. I would have liked to have seen a little more time devoted to it, but it was nice seeing it nonetheless. It's not like they completely glossed over it. You can't have those two characters in a room together and not have them acknowledge what happened between them. And they did a good job with it for as brief as it was. Yeah. Bruce apologizes. My God. <laughs> he mm-hmm. apologizes for something. Holy shit. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. In, in this episode, he says thank you, and he says I'm sorry. Has that ever happened? <laughs> and, and then he admits that teaming up might be a good thing. I don't know what's going on with Batman here. Yeah. It's not Batman. It's it, You know what it is? That's Nightwing in the Batman costume. Yeah. <laughs> doing doing the uh, strange secret of Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce, Bruce yeah. uh, mock voice. <laughs> exactly. That's what's going on. <laughs> no, I mean, it is it is weird. It definitely is. We don't see Batman apologize, say thank you, and then admitting that teaming up is a good thing all in one episode. You just... Like what? What happened here? And, and and also complimenting Superman for doing for doing something good that you know he didn't expect. He's <laughs> like, wow, yeah. you used you used their own her own uh, trick against them. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what, Batman robot. There you go. If previously we had a race robot, robot it's a Batman. Oh robot. yeah, it's it's what's it? it's the Hardack robot. It, it's come back. <laughs> oh no no no. <laughs> That's what was going on here. He was trying to uh, atone for his sins by stopping Rachel Ghoul and teaming up with Superman. Oh, no. So he ended, he helped end Rachel Ghoul for the real Batman. That's what's going oh, on. God, stop. No, bad. I don't want the emo <laughs> robot coming back. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what? Oh, you say that now? And I wouldn't have minded a hard-ack Batman robot teaming, teaming up with uh, Metallo. That would have been kind of neat. Hmm. That I might, you know, buy. both. Of I them, might could buy that, you know, because they could have had both of them with the half, you know, faces thing that they got going on, and hmm, hmm. that could have been cool. But anyways, right. anyways, I'm sorry. My, okay, my <laughs> biggest gripe with the episode really is how did Superman recover so quickly from having that much of his strength sapped when earlier he just really had a very small amount taken by Talia on that rooftop, and he didn't recover until he got to that underground city. I mean, he had literally enough to kill him, enough strength sapped from his body to kill him. And then he's able to fly Batman and himself out of the uh, cave. So, yeah, that made no sense at all. you have anything else? No, I really don't have 
too much else about this one. It's just, it really is a big disappointment for me. Um, again, not only because it's the last time we see Raish and Talia in this time frame, uh, but because, you know, this is the first team up between, uh, truly the first team up between Batman and Superman since World's Finest. Cause we saw Superman and Robin team up. Yeah. And, Bat- and Bruce Wayne was there, but it wasn't Batman. We just saw Supergirl and Batgirl team up. So the universes have crossed over, but this is the first team up between those two characters since World's Finest. And it pains me that this one falls so short. It soon became clear to me that the Joker, so often described as a raving homicidal madman, was actually a tortured soul crying out for love and acceptance. A lost, injured child trying to make the world laugh at his antics. And there, as always, was the self-righteous Batman. Determined to make life miserable for my angel. Yes, I admit it. As unprofessional as it sounds, I had fallen in love with my patient. And finally up today is the... Well, pretty much legendary, I would qualify it, uh, episode of Gotham Knights, Mad Love. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, uh, it starts off with uh, Commissioner Gordon going to the dentist's office, and uh, he gets trapped in there by Joker masquerading as the dentist, and uh, and Harley's there, of course. And uh, when Batman bursts in and comments on how sloppy his joke clue was uh, to which Harley claims credit for it. And then she spews some kind of gas all over Batman, probably, I don't know, maybe nitrous or something. And it, it kind of knocks him out enough for them to uh, uh, begin their escape. But Harley makes a joke about that being a quote unquote gasser. And then Joker just verbally rips her a new one saying that he gives the punchlines. So, uh, you know, they leave with a bang as always. And, Back at their hideout, uh, Joker's going through some old blueprints looking for something that could make for a glorious, spectacular death of Batman. And uh, Harley walks in with uh, some extremely skimpy lingerie and tries <laughs> repeatedly to turn Joker on uh, with said lingerie and all kinds of come-ons. And uh, Joker shoves her away verbally and physically several times. <laughs> He, uh, he then finds an old plan of his that looks great, but then he remembers that there was a kink in the plan, uh, and that was the reason he abandoned it in the first place. Apparently, the, the piranhas that were involved in this plan that would chew Batman to pieces wouldn't have smiles on their faces, even with Joker toxin, so he couldn't, he couldn't very well use it. Uh, so Harley suggests that Joker just shoot him, and Joker then rants <laughs> at her about how the death of Batman must be something extraordinary, something fantastical and stupendimonious or something. And uh, Harley again tries to flirt with Joker, and he just throws her out the door. And uh, at this point, she starts recapping uh, how she met the Joker and uh, you know when she was an intern at Arkham and how she fell in love with him and why she must now kill Batman. So, you know, after she recounts the story, she comes up with a plan to capture Batman. She sends a tape to uh, Police HQ, uh, or she, or maybe she broadcasts on TV, I can't remember, but uh, basically the video is saying that Joker is just uh, going to destroy Gotham once and for all, because he's just completely pissed off at Batman's latest foiling of his plans, and and that she'll meet Batman 
uh, at the docks to give him the plans so that he can stop uh, stop the Joker. So when Batman arrives, Harley shows him the plans, and this Joker robot rides up on a motorboat firing a, a Gatling gun at both of them. And as Batman destroys the robot, Harley takes the opportunity to inject Batman with some kind of sedative, and it knocks him out cold. And next we see Batman wakes up chained, uh, chained upside down over a tank full of piranhas with only Harley there. She explains that uh, she's going to be the one. She's finally going to get rid of Batman uh, by lowering him into the tank upside down so that the piranha's frowns will look like smiles. <laughs> and uh, this is all so that she and Joker can live happily ever after together. And Batman laughs at her. Yes, laughs maniacally at her, <laughs> calling her a fool and saying that Joker only loves one person, himself. And Harley tries to explain how Joker confided in her when she worked at Arkham, telling her secrets that he told nobody else before. But Batman just scoffs at her, uh, saying that you know he had her pegged for hired help the minute she stepped into the place. All the stories he told her were complete lies made to fool her into helping him escape. Um, Harley then prepares to lower Batman into the tank, but he then continues to play his own mind games with her and says, how will Joker believe her? Uh, believe he's really gone if there's no body? Because, you know, let's face it, the piranhas are not going to leave behind much evidence. You know, anybody can fake some blood uh, and cloth scraps. Uh, so Harley calls Joker and tells him what's going on, and he just <laughs> furiously drives over to uh, wherever Harley and Batman are, uh, basically to kill Harley. And uh, so Harley greets him warmly, and Joker backhands the hell out of her. So uh, Joker yells at her, saying that he wants the credit for killing Batman, and Harley you know, explains, look, it's your plan. You will get the credit for it. The only tweak is I, I, I just I, I, I put Batman upside down, so the, the, the frowns will look like little smileys. And uh, <laughs> Joker then keeps ranting that because she had to explain the joke, it isn't a joke. It's not funny. So he edges towards her, and she tries to calm him down, but he ends up pushing her out uh, out the window, and she falls about three or four stories to the alleyway below. And uh, Joker then actually lets Batman down and apologizes for the inconvenience. <laughs> and uh, But then, as he's leaving, he turns around and thinks, well, you know, I've got Batman over a barrel here. Why not just shoot him anyway? So... But Batman escapes, Joker runs away, and they end up uh, they end up on a train going across Gotham. And Batman remarks that Harley came closer to killing him than Joker ever did, and he even insults him by calling him Puddin'. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Batman eventually knocks Joker into a smokestack, uh, ending the fight. And uh, in the last scene, we see a wheelchair-bound uh, Harleen Quinzel being pushed to her cell in Arkham, where, you know, she thinks to herself, she'll never side with the Joker again. This is it. She, you know, what did she ever see in this creep? And as she's about to go to sleep, she sees a single rose with a note saying, feel better soon. Uh, love, Jay. And she huh. has a change of heart. Well, Mike, yep. mad love. <laughs> yes. So uh, all I'll say about this one is perfect. Uh, let's get on with our scores. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I don't even know where to start with this one. You know what? Before we get into our thoughts, mm -hmm. I think I want to give a little uh, history about this episode because um, I don't think everybody knows how this episode came about. Originally, um, Deanie and Tim had planned this, actually wrote it, 
to be an episode of Batman the Animated Series. But the network, I believe the network, um, decided that, you know what, this is too violent, too over-the-top, way too mature for the animated series. So Deanie and Tim, they then took that script and they turned it into a comic uh, that DC published. Uh, they, I believe they both wrote it, and I know Tim drew it. And years later, when they ended up doing this cartoon, Gotham Knights, which was uh, more mature in its themes at times. I mean, because it's weird, because in the animated series, we did get drug use and stuff like this, and stuff like that, I should say. But over here, we do... Would you say this one's more mature than the original animated series? This episode, or the, you mean the series Gotham Knights? The, the, the whole series in general, comparing the two series. Is this one more mature than the previous one? Yeah, overall, I'd say so. The problem is we've had we've because, had a lot of just really goofy stuff, so it's hard to see it that, down as, as just being overall dark. Right, that's what I was going to say, because in the original one, like I said, we got drug usage, we've got, we got the whole Crime Alley episode, which dealt with just destitute people, and we, we got episodes about, uh, like Robin's origin and the death of his parents, that's extremely dark. We got deep looks into Batman's psyche, whether they were good episodes or not, doesn't matter, we still got looks into him. But then over here, we get the, uh, the death of Annie, Robin's clayface girlfriend. You know, we get the very dark breakup of Batman and Robin. We get the quote-unquote death of Batgirl. But then, as you said, it's coupled with some, a lot of crap comedy. Um, but regardless, the network, by the time this series was on the air, decided it was okay to run that original treatment, that original script, in this show, maybe because it was more mature, maybe they lightened up, maybe Tim and Dini were able to convince them. I don't know, but that's how come uh, we wound up with this episode now instead of in Batman the Animated Series, which is where they had intended it to fall. So, sorry. Oh, history lesson is over. Oh, that's <laughs> probably very, very much um, needed because it shows how this violent this episode is. Yeah, um, and I should note that if you have the chance to um, f buy the comic, um, it's well worth it. It definitely is. I have never um, seen I it anywhere. It. I have never seen it in a store anywhere. It's not easy to find. Um, I don't know how much it's going to run you, like on eBay or at a comic shop, but I suspect it'll be... I don't think it'll be more than $10. My guess is probably six seven maybe eight but who knows who knows um but if you do get a chance to buy it don't pay a ton for it but do pick it up it is a great read and you'll see it's almost a beat by beat uh i don't want to call it an adaptation because it's really they adapted the script into the comic back into the script you see what i'm saying it's it's kind of weird what they did there but what you get in the comic is pretty much what you see on the screen with but a few um tweaks here and there and i i love that comic and i absolutely adore this episode it's just because of what it addresses you know this is one of those episodes where you laugh a couple of times like you know do you want to rev up your harley um and there's some other gags in there but still if you actually examine the comic and then this episode the whole thing is about spousal abuse and just how far gone Harley Quinn is. 
that no matter what the Joker puts her through, he could literally throw her out a window and leave her for dead. And she still is head over heels for him. And the sad fact is there are people, I'm not going to say just women, there are people who are like that in the real world. And I don't mean to get on a soapbox here, but hey, I'm already on it. (laughs) Um, So I hope this episode, if it did anything, is teach younger viewers that being in this kind of relationship is wrong. Yeah, this is an utterly brilliant episode. It, it, it really is. It's a very, very tragic episode. And, you know, most of the time I don't want to watch it because I hate seeing Harley abused like that. And that's yeah. not, of course, that's not a knock on the episode. It's just, it's a compliment to the storytelling of the writers and it's, and it, to their condemning of the evils of better, better spouse syndrome. And, yeah. you know, it's, wow. I can't, I love the, the the message that they sent in this episode. Just you know how really this shows you really how evil a person the Joker is. We mean we've seen him the you know the over the top psychopathic villain. This just shows as a person how incredibly cruel he is. Yeah. If you know if you can yeah, distinguish we've seen the two. him. No, yeah. I mean we've seen him yell at Harley. We've seen him literally kick her out into the street. But here, you know, he's backhanding her. He chucks her out a window. It, it This goes far beyond anything we've ever seen before. Um, but unfortunately, they needed to do this to Harley to get their point across, yep. to drive home the fact that the Joker is this extreme, even at home, we'll say, and that Harley is just, she's a little dog that's just going to take it and take it and take it and come back to lick your face after she's got done licking her wounds, and she's going to end up taking the blame herself. I mean, there's a line in here, after she gets thrown out the window, and she's laying there in the alley, potentially dying, this line, it almost makes me cry. I can barely say it. She says, my fault, I didn't get the joke. Yeah, she thinks Like that right fault. there. Yeah, that right there. It just, that's battered spousal syndrome, we'll call it. Um, again, I don't want to just make this about women. Guys get beat up by their wives. Or if they're in a homosexual relationship, they get beat up by their partner. So I don't want to say this only happens in male-female relationships. It definitely doesn't. But yeah, this this that line right there. That really put shows. That you. really sums it up. I'm That's, sorry. Go that ahead. whole that just that line sums it up in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, it puts the exclamation point on the character that is Harley Quinn. You know, and it shows that the writers understand. Um, this kind of mature material and that they were willing to deal with it in a mature way, that they didn't make a joke out of it, like they have in the past. When the Joker's yelled at her and done those things, we kind of chuckle. But you can't laugh when he throws her out the window and she's dying in the alley saying it's my fault. You can't laugh at that. You just can't. If you're laughing at that... You're fucked up. Like, I wasn't going to quite say that, but I was going to be a little nicer. But, yeah, you you should not be laughing at that scene. You really have to reexamine what you find funny. If you're laughing at Harley Quinn bleeding internally, having fallen three, four stories, taking blame for something that was not her fault at all. She was trying to please her husband 
you know, for lack of a better word, and he attempts to murder her. Yeah. And if she doesn't blame him, it's all her fault. That That's just... I'm talking in circles no, that's, here. And that's but, what it really leads up to, because he will be the death of her. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. They just it, it doesn't happen in the DCAU, of course. They don't they don't kill off Harley Quinn. She comes back. No. She's never going to leave the psychopath, and he is going to kill her someday. It's just mm-hmm. they never they never do it on screen, or you know, uh, I mean they they tell what happens eventually to Harley in Return of the Joker and Batman Beyond, but uh, yeah, I mean it's really really I mean she. He will be just what kills her, and it's really very sad. Just getting away from the the whole battered spouse thing for a little bit here. Um, another thing, of course, I love about this episode is the mind games Batman plays with both Harley and Joker. And yeah. I love it. I love it when we get to see that because we get to see less of that than even his detectiving, you know. Um, mm. And when he's talking to Harley, you know, you feel bad for Harley, but you know everything he's saying is right. And, yeah. you know, you want – you really want Batman to succeed there in that hopefully she'll realize what's going on and she'll let him down. And then he can go get Joker and then she can start leading a normal life, hopefully, because that's really what he's trying to do there. You know that's his end goal by, you know, messing – In his own twisted way, yeah, yeah that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's – that's the end the end goal there, but that's that's just the way he has to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And then and then later on, after after Joker has pushed her out the window and they're on the train and Batman really is just laying into Joker uh, mentally. It's it's great. He's he's like, look, you never came that close to killing me. Your your little goofy girlfriend came closer than you ever did. So, I mean, what do you have to show for it? I'm here. I am standing here about to beat the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. And it, it was great. I love that. I, I love that Joker was just really just tortured mentally and physically there. It was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. In, in truth, if I have one gripe about this episode, it's the end beat. You know, Harley is getting pushed back into her cell and she's thinking to herself that this is it. She finally understands the Joker for what he is, a creepy, manipulative, psychopathic murderer. And she's never going to uh, see him again, fall for his tricks again. And then, oh, she sees the flower and she's in love again. And I understand they were trying to show that she's never going to break away from this cycle but I would have liked it if they gave us a little glimmer of hope for her. Um, even if once they did Return of the Joker, they went back on it, you know, and we, we see them together again in the flashback, so we know she wound up in his arms again, that's fine. But I would have liked her, you know, her... Uh, is this her last appearance? Or does she, is she in Beware the Creeper? I mean... Or is she in Judgment Day? Ooh, I don't remember. Okay, but this was... I mean, she comes back in Justice League, of course, but... Uh... Okay, well, but what I'm getting at is, if this is her last appearance in Gotham Knights, I would have liked it to end on an up note for her, where she decides she isn't going back, and then at a later date, something happens off-screen, and she did go back with him. Yeah. But 
it would have been nice to give her a slightly happy ending. Not, oh, because what does she say? What is her last well, line? Well, it's, the line leads up to her, uh, her calling him an angel. She was probably going to call him some sick yeah. freak or something, but she ended with angel. Yeah, just angel. Yeah. So. So, like I said, it, I, I, like I said, I fully understand what they were doing with it, but I just wish they didn't do it. I wish they would have went full out and had her at least temporarily decided this this is this is the end for her. She's gonna live a normal life like Scarface went on to do briefly. Yeah. <laughs> I I have only two gripes with this episode. One was pretty obvious was how did Joker survive falling into what had to be a furnace. And, yeah. And uh but you know, I mean, he he survived the Lex Wing explosion. So I mean, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the other one um, is when Harley is telling her story. She comments about how she it took her th- like three months to get an interview with the Joker, and uh, how she studied up on him, and she was prepared for everything except a "my dad beat me up" story. Mm-hmm. What? pitiful excuse of a psychiatry school did she study at where she was she wasn't well, going to expect a my father beat me up story <laughs> that's something they left out from the comic version of this um she was a d student at best <laughs> she only graduated by sleeping her way to her degree it's flat out said that she fucked i mean it doesn't say she fucked her teachers but it's there on the page. You understand what she's doing. So she clearly wasn't paying attention mm-hmm. in school. Um, so she's just not a good shrink. She's literally just there. Do you remember there's that one doctor who uh, she makes some offhand comment about she hopes Harley isn't there just to uh, make money off right. these characters. Right. That's what Harley is there to do is to get a series of uh, high-profile books out of each one of them. Um, so she doesn't give a shit. She she wasn't prepared for any of this. She wasn't prepared to talk to someone like me or you, more or less the, the Joker and Two-Face and, and guys like that. Um, so I, I really didn't have a big problem with it. Because at least for me it was explained, but I am trying to look at it from your point of view where we don't get any of that, and I could see where it would be a Issue. Yeah, because I, I, like I said, I haven't read the book, so I didn't know that. I've, mm. Although, you know, of course it makes perfect sense. She slept her way to a degree, so. Okay, mm. then I can let that slide. Um, <laughs> but uh, they did. They actually showed, if not, I mean, if it was even if it was just a butchered version of it in Joker's memory, they showed the vat of acid. Yeah, they did. thrown into it. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, but not getting knocked into it, literally thrown. picked up and thrown yeah. into it, which I thought was yeah, funny. Yeah, that's why I said it was a butchered yeah, right there, Yeah, right there you understand, okay, this isn't quite how it happened, <laughs> but whatever, we'll go along with yeah. it. You know? uh, it. It's how Harley sees it, you know, yeah. <laughs> based on what he's told her. Actually, I, know, I take that back. I have one, another one little minor gripe. Um, when they're on the docks, Harley, that being Harley and Batman, um, the the Joker robot thing starts riding up on the uh, motorboat and starts shooting at them. You know, Batman pushes Harley to the ground and covers her up so she doesn't get shot. He throws a batarang that decapitates the robot. Now, if it decapitates a robot, (laughs) wouldn't it have done the same thing to the real Joker? (laughs) Yeah, I always found it funny that he threw a batarang right at its neck. Yeah, and even if it didn't decapitate him, it would have severed every artery in the neck. 
Yeah. So he's dead either way. <laughs> I love how Joker called one of his plan or described one of his plans as too Riddler. I wish I could have seen the, you know, I wish they would have shown the blueprint slightly to see, oh, yeah, that is Riddler, you know, just something, maybe <laughs> kind of hint at it being, you know, overtly goofy in a Riddler way. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, and another, another little minor moment of humor while Harley is interviewing Joker and Joker's telling her that story and they're laughing and having all sorts of frolicky fun. And he says, and then he broke my nose. That was, that was, uh, nice. That really sums up Joker, uh, Joker's, uh, mentality in a, in a nutshell right there. (laughs) Yeah. Cause, and the thing is, if you, if, if you see this a second time, there's something you have to pay attention to because they're both laughing. Oh, it's funny that, you know, Joker dropped his pants and blah, 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 blah. And he was having this great time with his dad. But if you listen to the Joker's laugh, he goes from a kind of real, this is funny laugh to the maniacal Joker laugh before he says, and then he broke my nose. Yep. And so if he, he's building up to it and it's, it's, it's creepy. It's cause he starts laughing in the Joker way because he thinks what he's about to say is funny. He honestly thinks what he's about to say is, is the punchline. And that's why he goes into the Joker laugh. And that makes that scene so much more tragic because he gets it. We, the viewers get it, but poor Harley Quinn doesn't get it. Yeah. Ugh. And uh, apparently Harley is wanted in 12 states. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I like that, too. <laughs> uh, I was wondering where, where is she traveling around to and committing crimes? I thought she was just Gotham-based. <laughs> Joker. Well, apparently. Joker, I could understand being wanted in every state. <laughs> Harley, I don't know. Maybe Harley I could give a pass at in, you know, 25 or so. Yeah. I don't know. Did you notice the uh, – it when uh, – I think it was when uh, Harley was first coming into the asylum um, as Harley Harleen Quinzel. Did you notice the the one inmate yes. licking the yes. glass? <laughs> <laughs> and he just keeps doing it for the whole scene too. That's what's great. It's not like he licks it once or twice. He keeps licking that thing clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to see more about him. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it, it, while they were walking there that they would show. Uh, you know, some lesser known bat villain, you know, from maybe a, a while back or maybe even Zaz or somebody, you know? Right. Yeah. Just, yeah, they could have thrown a bunch of, like, they could have had, uh, like, crazy quilt in there. They could have had, a, like, how they could have done it was not have him in his quilt clothing, but they could have had him in a, a patchwork Arkham outfit. Yeah. And if you know who crazy, crazy quilt is, you'd get it. You know, you could have had a guy there with a bunch of scars on his arms, and we know that Zaz. Maybe um, the fake Mad Hatter and, that showed up so many times from the 50s through the 80s. Yeah, just, they could have had a whole bunch of Batman villains in there. But, you know, it doesn't hurt the episode yeah. that they didn't do it. But it would have been that little extra touch that just would have put it over. It would have been better than perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that during the flashback scenes, um, and I'm talking specifically when Harley's in the corridor uh, of Arkham, I like the lighting. There's like this blue lighting and there's sometimes there's a green lighting. And then when we're actually in the cells, there's kind of this golden yellowish lighting. And the only time we get any sort of uh, what we'll call normal lighting is when she's actually interviewing the Joker, when he's telling her uh, his so-called life story. And even then, all we see is them in a spotlight, basically, and everything around them is pitch black. Yes. Um, 
it did a really good job letting viewers know, maybe viewers who were just tuning in, that this is a flashback and that's why it looks so different from what we're used to color-wise and design-wise. I, I appreciate that on an aesthetic level. Absolutely, because the blue the blue light you can understand is being it's just really dark. There's not a lot of uh, – whatever uh, light is there is white, and it kind of casts a blue – uh, filter over the room, and then we get the green light that they're near Poison Ivy's uh, cell. Mm. So, and then mm. we get to the the gold light. You know, that's the moon. So, I mean, it was it, yeah, it was very very cool. Yeah. Um, and if we don't say the line, people are going to write in and say, "Why didn't you say the line?" So we have to mention what the Joker said to Gordon and Batman upon leaving the dentist office, James. Mm-hmm. May the floss be with you. Okay, no emails. Because I know if we didn't say that, we would have got 102 emails <laughs> asking us why we didn't mention it. So there it is. We mentioned it. <laughs> Not that I mind getting 102 emails. I'm just saying. James minds because he's the one that has to read them yeah. on the air. I'm just saying. My I vocal cords mind. <laughs> mind. I, my brain doesn't necessarily mind. It's just my vocal cords will have a revolt. Yeah. James has a fragile throat. Say. Well, what, what can I say? I'm a little guy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What else do you want to say about this one before we uh, end our discussion here? Is there anything else? Nothing new. Just really summing up that by saying I'm proud of the writers. I really am. That's really the best I can say is I'm proud of the writers for creating such a, uh, a very, such a mature episode on such a very real problem in society today. And uh, using two characters who are well-established that we know that's been going on. And, um, it really it added a lot of depth to the characters because Joker, you know, we know Joker has not always been in the strongest of episodes, and um, you know, and this wasn't, of course, this wasn't really a Joker episode; it was a Harley episode. We know that, but um, still, Joker, we really got to see the truly, truly evil person that is the Joker here, and uh, really, just uh, props to the writers a hundred percent. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so, going to our scores, what do you give Legends of the Dark Knight? Well, old chum, I give this one a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I agree 100%. Um, I think the animation and, again, the story for that last portion are not the best, but what this episode does makes up for that at the end. So, definitely a perfect 10. Okay, uh, Unity. <laughs> I can't decide. Um, God, I'll give it a two. I'm probably being generous with that. That one gets a one from me. Girls Night Out. Uh, I'll give that a six. I am giving this one. You know, I wrote down an eight, but do I want to give this one a seven? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one an eight. I really did enjoy this one. I like the fact that the big boys didn't show up at the end to save the day. Yeah. That the girls did it by themselves. Because I mean. I hate when they do that, when, like, Robin's having an adventure, and I'm talking, like, in the comics or something, and then Batman shows up to save his hide. It's like, well, that makes Robin look yeah, weak. And they made the look, girls look strong on their own. Two against three, and they still won. So, yeah, that's getting an eight for me. Uh, the Demon Reborn. Yeah, I fully admit I'm overgrading this, but uh, I'll give it a seven just because I enjoy it so much on a personal level. What? Sorry. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's cool. You know what? I, mean, I, I know, I know. I'll probably come back to this in our... Re- our uh, retrospective episode but 
For now. For now, seven. Hey, I'm looking at our scores from the past. I think this may be the biggest gap we've ever had. I know I haven't revealed my score yet. <laughs> I can already but tell. I'll get to that in a I second. I can already tell. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. I- I'm looking. <sighs> Normally, our scores are at most two or two and a half points different. Um, a lot of times we really see eye to eye, if you want yeah, the we truth. We get same um, scores on all kinds of episodes. Yeah. Okay, here, trial... Let's see, that's a three-point difference. You gave Trial an eight. I gave it a five. I regraded that to a six, so... Oh, did you? Okay, I hadn't scrolled down far enough yet. Okay, so that brought our grades uh, to a point that was a little more even. Time out of joint, you gave a seven and a half. I gave five, so that was two and a half off. Um, There was a Mad Hatter episode that I may have graded higher, but... Oh, it was Perchance to Dream, and I ended up dropping that two points, so... It ended up being close. Okay, so... Okay, I moved on to Superman here. Again, it looks like we mostly see eye-to-eye without a huge difference between our scores. Again, one, two, two and a half points, maybe three. But I'm not done looking here. I'm not done looking. I, compelling podcasting, I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, let's see, and I move over to Batman here. Yeah, okay, this is probably going to be our biggest gap ever. Uh, you gave it a seven. I'm giving this one a two. Um, the reason it's not getting a one is, um, what did I say earlier? I did give it a couple, what, whatever I said earlier. And Bruce people. And, uh, oh, the, yeah, the Lois and Bruce thing. And there was one the other action. thing. Um, oh, the, yeah, the action at the air, at the hangar and the laying the seats for Justice League. There you go. Otherwise this seriously would have been a one. Anyways, I don't have to ask, but at the same time I have to mad love making up for our differential in the last episode, uh, <laughs> 10. Exactly. If this one gets a 10 from me, I think this may be a first. Um, in one show, I'm not going to go through the scores again to find out. In one show, two different episodes got 10s. Mm-hmm. And another episode, at least from one of us, got a 1. You gave that same episode a 2. <laughs> and then another 2 was doled out, and someone was crazy and gave that same episode a 7. <clears throat> mm-hmm. hey, <laughs> no, I'm, I can't see eye to eye on everything now. I think it's important. <laughs> no, we it, it's just, you're right. It, it, it's just kind of weird is what I'm getting at because Superman was doing pretty good for itself, you know? And then it got to a point where it just started hitting some yeah. really bad episodes. And Gotham Knights was kind of doing not so well. Yeah, it was and right smart. here, yeah, right here, starting with Old Wounds, we had Old Wounds, The Demon Within, Legends of the Dark Knight, Girls' Night Out, then Mad Love. I can't speak of the next three because I haven't seen them in a long time. But we just had five solid episodes in a row. We're over on Superman. Let's say, uh, okay, we had Little Big Head Man, which we both scored poorly. Absolute Power. In Brightest Day, okay, there was a nice little island of hope. Then we had Superman's Pale. A Fish Story we both thought was kind of average. And then Unity and the Demon Reborn, you know, not not the best ones there. So it, it's so unbalanced, uh, uh, the quality between the two series as they're both about to finish up. Never again. No more obsession. No more craziness. No more Joker. I finally see that slime for what he is. A murderous, manipulative, irredeemable.
Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss one episode of Superman the Animated Series, that being Legacy, and three episodes from Gotham Knights, Chemistry, Beware the Creeper, and Judgment Day. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 